Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Wednesday morning, June 28th, 843-661-0937 is our number. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. morning, Josh. Good morning. Uh, We're not going to do, we've not done a good job of laser focusing on the big stories of politics in America this week. We've been Ozempic and uh, all these other sidebar conversations uh, that I can become easily infatuated with. We, um, we're going to spend the majority of time today about, you know, two or three politically centric stories that have enormous consequence or will eventually have uh, enormous consequence. I'll begin this show by making a random comment. You ready? Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any way Trump can win in November of 2024. Hmm. Oh, I've just concluded. You're going to start. Well, I mean, look, I'm one guy with one opinion. I mean, obviously, there are a lot of other guys and ladies with a lot of other opinions that disagree with mine. But, but I looked at some numbers last night, and I looked at some storylines. And whether we like it or not, whether we believe it's true or not, whether we trust the information we're being told or not, there is a narrative out there that Trump mishandled classified information. And I do believe that some of the, um, some of the, uh, some of the leaks have been obviously to damage Trump, no question about it. But what has he done? since the indictment to strengthen his position with independence. I mean, I get the bubble we live in. I mean, I understand the talk radio audience and the Republican primary, and he is as strong as any candidate ever has been in winning a nomination in a selection process outside of a general primary, excuse me, a general election. But I just don't think it translates. I'm not trying to be discouraging. I want to, I want to hear some other opinions that say, no, you're wrong. My heart says, I wish it weren't the case. My gut tells me that that there's no question about it. I mean, you've got a guy. Let, let, let's break this down a little bit. You've got a you've got a, a president in the White House now that half the country doesn't believe he won anyway. I mean, they don't say the election was stolen, but they question whether he got 81 million votes or not. I mean, Roseanne Barr got in trouble yesterday. And the media says she denies the Holocaust. I mean, that's not what, what Roseanne Barr did. I mean, I don't know if you heard it in context, but I, Roseanne I said, hear. yeah, she said, um, somebody, I mean, she's on a podcast and Roseanne's a bit outspoken and she's trying to generate some enthusiasm for her brand. Um, imagine that. But Roseanne said, when someone asked about the presidency and Roseanne, uh, Roseanne said, yeah, Biden got 81 million votes and nobody died of the Holocaust. So she's been very sarcastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, tremendously sarcastic. Now Roseanne is doing what <sighs> former big-time celebrities do to gain former to gain that status again. I don't want to say she's irrelevant, but she doesn't. She's not the central character of a highly rated sitcom anymore. So she's trying to find some shelf life. She's trying to find some relevancy out there in stardom um, and glamour world. And you know, Roseanne and glamour doesn't go together. But anyway, she was a big star. She's still a star, but not a big star. But when she says something that gets the people talking about her, you know, it elevates her status, her stature. But but when she said, you know, Biden got 81 million votes, yeah, nobody died of the Holocaust. Well, the media runs with that. You know, Roseanne's a, a Holocaust denier, yeah. nothing of the sort. I mean, she, I, I listened to it in its context, in its entirety, because uh, I heard her say that, and I'm like, wow, that's pretty wild. Um, but it was not what the media, and some media, not all media, some media reported on. So you've got a president of the White House that 53, 4, 5% of America doesn't believe legitimately got 
81 million votes. I mean, if you say, was the election stolen, it goes to about about 39%, 37%, somewhere thereabout. Which is still an extraordinary it's, amount it's, of people. It's an unbelievable, but I mean, it's a large plurality. I mean, it's a huge plurality. So, so four of 10 Americans believe the election was stolen. Well, that number's probably 35%. But I've seen that. Uh, I've seen it as high as 40, but I question some of the method, some of the methodology of how you get to that number. So let's say one in three. I'm going to argue say one in three Americans believe the election was stolen. The majority of Americans have serious questions about whether Joe Biden got 81 million legitimate votes or not. I mean, I, I've used the, the, um, the terminology, they stole it fair and square. It's kind of like Dave Chappelle, an honest liar. How do you steal it fair and square? But I think you know what the inference is. How do you, what is an honest liar? I think you understand what the inference is. Some words don't belong together until they're said a certain way. And then they're kind of, uh, they're, they're Mitch match appropriate, so to speak. So you've got a, you've got an, uh, an 80 year old man who 50 per, at least a, a small majority of Americans, but a majority nonetheless questioned whether he really got 81 million votes or not. He's in cognitive decline about, about 60, but I, mean, I got the numbers here. Um, about 56% of Americans don't believe he has the physical and mental abilities to perform the job as needed. You've got the right track, wrong track number. Seven of 10 Americans believe America's headed in the wrong track. It's a slam dunk is what I'm saying. If it weren't for Trump and his issues, there's nothing Biden can run on. I mean, what does Biden run on? I mean, he's trying to con up this argument of he's created all these jobs. Nobody believes that. I mean, no, nobody's buying that. Biden, Bidenomics. I mean, no, nobody's, I mean, Reaganomics and Clintonomics and Obamanomics and Obamacare. I mean, there was a, a you know, a for and against. Nobody's for Joe Biden's agenda. I mean, because Biden doesn't have an agenda. I mean, he's just a guy wandering around in the White House who's waited his entire life to be president. It's a little bit of human tragedy that once he finally rises to the, um, to the ranks of president, he doesn't know he's the president. And I mean, I, I'm saying that figuratively, not, not literally, but, but, but here's where the problem is guys. When, when the, the Democrats have that many headwinds, it's, I mean, it's just, it, it's a seven and 10 race for the Republicans. I mean, it's, n- it's never going to be nine and 10. I mean, we're deeply divided. You know, you got roughly half the country here, roughly half the country. Well, a third of the country here, third of the country there, third of the country in the middle. Give me a reason that you believe Trump will fare better with moderate Democrats in swing states. With moderate Democrats. Well, let me, excuse me, with moderate independents. With moderate independents. Independents. I mean, I'm not, you know, they're conservative independents. They're liberal independents. Well, don't you believe that? people, the ind- the true independent, okay, the people that don't have Trump derangement syndrome or the people that don't love Trump would say, hey, I think Trump was probably better at this job. Shouldn't that, we put him back in? I, that's your only shot. But but I think there are far more that say, I'm just tired of this crap, man. I'm just tired of indictments. I'm tired of, I mean, you got this story now of um, Mark Meadows and a, and a memoir and Trump saying, you know, I could declassify. Somebody bring some cokes in. I could declassify. I'm not saying that Trump tried to harm the country. I don't believe that for a second. I think Trump has always been the boss and he's always done things the way he wants to do things. And when you become president, there's a, there's a certain authority there that there's a certain responsibility there. You can run Trump enterprises, however you choose. 
I mean, you can you can you can fire and hire and replace and displace and move headquarters and but when you become American president, there's a certain formality that you've got to ascribe to, no matter how much of a bull in the china shop you are. I mean, that's the that's the enchantment that we have with Trump. I mean, we wanted a bull in a china shop. We got a bull in a china shop, but but the and, and the bull's broken about every dish there is in the china shop, and the bull wants to get back in the china shop. And I want the bull back back in the china shop, but I want pro growth policies. I want a pro business president. I want someone who understands our energy policy and and will will create a better energy policy for for America. I think Trump is all that. I really and truly do. But when but I look at the escapades. Uh, you know, the um, the issues that we have to deal with if he's our nominee. I just think independents say, you know, I, I don't care much for Biden policies, but he's not being indicted, arraigned, arrested. Um, we don't have this video. No, now who knows what happens? Here's the point I'm trying to make, and I'll do it like Kevin McCarthy. I mean, McCarthy's in hot water with Trump now because he didn't express 100% loyalty. Um, McCarthy said, do I believe Trump can win the election? Yeah. I mean, if someone said to me, do you believe Trump can win the election? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a chance he can win the election. He's He doesn't give us the best chance. I mean, I, I just think that's where we are. Can Trump win the 2024 general election in November? Yes. Is Trump the best chance Republicans have to win in 2024? Absolutely not. And there's, I mean, you, you got to be able to kind of look in the mirror and say, okay, this is where we are today. Now, can things change? Yeah. I mean, there's no question about it. But but I think we, we, we've got to begin considering an alternative. I'm not saying give up on Trump. I'm not saying throw the towel in on Trump. I'm not saying, you know, stop being loyal to Trump and all he's done for America first, the cause that has energized certain people who never participated in American politics. But I think there's a mathematical reality. Politics is about math. I mean, you can let your emotions drive it. You can let your feelings be, be the largest contributor. You, you can you can read every pro-Trump website there is to read. But at the end of the day, elections become math. And when I look at Trump today, in the Republican primary, there has never been anybody as powerful. Never. I mean, in my lifetime, I mean, I don't remember the beginning of the probably never. I mean, I think never is a fair characterization. I don't think there's ever been a candidate in a primary as dominant as Donald Trump is today. Does it translate to a general election? No, absolutely not. Can Trump win? Yes. Will he? I'm extremely skeptical. Let's go to the phone. Matt in Florence. Good morning, Matt. Hey, guys. Uh, I agree with you, Ken. Um, I, I like Donald Trump. I voted for him twice, um, but I, I will never do it again. Uh, there's just too much of a dark cloud floating around him. I know it's not his doing. I get that. I get that they're they're targeting him and things like that. Um, and this is going to sound bad, but he has served a purpose uh, during this whole primary. Uh, he's kind of been a lightning rod. Um, and, and obviously, as soon as... Ron DeSantis or whoever else ends up being the president, I want Donald Trump pardoned immediately um, for anything that they're, they're trying to put on him. And then I want everybody investigated for what they're doing to Donald Trump, because I personally think 
they're violating his uh, constitutional rights. But um, that's just me. But uh, I wouldn't vote for him again because I'm I talk to more people than just the people I know, and um, I think it gives the Democrats an excuse to really fire up their voter fraud apparatus if they throw Donald Trump out there, and they can just use the excuse, well, people hate Donald Trump. Um, they don't have that strong of an excuse with uh, other candidates. And so I'm, I'm personally not going to vote for Donald Trump again. I like the guy. I think he could do great things for the country. Um, but I also want to win. So that's where I land. Thank you. Appreciate that, Matt. And that's where I land. I mean, that, that's the conversation I want us to have before we get out of here for July 4th, because this thing begins to really take shape. I mean, we'll get back June, July 10th. I mean, we, we head toward the, the, the middle-ish, end-ish of summer, and, and it's on. I mean, it, it's we've got a full-fledged campaign. I think there's a debate in August or September, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not saying – I'm not trying to tell anybody who to vote for. I just think they're and, – and, and Matt nailed it. I mean, I'm not saying Trump deserves all the negative um, energy around his, you know, presidency and campaign and candidacy. I'm not – but, 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 you know, it doesn't matter how you feel about these things. I mean, it doesn't. I mean, you can, if you go to the poll and vote, vote based on, and we are, we're not Vulcans. I mean, I've said that a million times. We are emotionally driven people. The majority of us will make a decision with emotion being a large part of why we do it. Josh, jump in. So I kind of want to push back a little bit. Sure. What I'm thinking uh, regarding independence is, so you have Trump, who obviously is, like you said, a bull in a china shop. And you have Biden, who I think has kind of produced more tangible complaints like higher gas prices, inflation. Trump ultimately is is more controversial, but he he hasn't done anything, I think, to affect people's lives in that way. And that's kind of how I'm thinking the independent would think. What do you say about that? I don't disagree a bit with what you just said. But what does Trump bring that DeSantis does not? Controversy. Right. I mean, I don't disagree with the analogy you used. I think there mm-hmm. are many, many independents that will say Trump's an ass, but gas was two bucks a gallon. Gas was a dollar seventy nine a gallon. Um, uh, our energy policy was 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 far more uh, advantageous to the American worker and consumer and family and way of life. We weren't involved in in, in Ukraine, and I don't know what Trump would. Have. I mean, I, I think there are millions of independents that will evaluate and land there. But but I just don't think he gives us the best chance to win. And here's the question we've got to pose to ourselves. And I go back to what I believe six months ago when DeSantis got in. I, I think there's a 50% chance Trump wins. I think there's a 75% chance that DeSantis wins. And let's say that DeSantis, and this is what you've got to self-calculate. I mean, I don't know. Rev doesn't know. Josh doesn't know. We're, we're speculating. We're estimating. How much of Trump do you get if you vote for DeSantis? Are you getting an America First agenda? Are you getting a globalist disguising himself as an America Firster? We don't know that. We, we don't have any idea. Uh, Josh has to make a decision. Rev has to make a decision. I've got to make a decision. We all do, individually and collectively, to some degree. Do we trust DeSantis to execute an America First agenda? And just wait until DeSantis is the nominee, if he is. Uh, the Democrat machine will turn its fire on him just like they have Trump. In fact, I think they're already doing it. And here's why I say I was talking to someone who is a uh, 
and they're a Democrat voter, and I mean, they voted for Biden. We've had those discussions. I tried to talk them into voting for Trump, and you know, back in 2020, didn't work. Okay, but we have we have interesting discussions about it. Sure. And uh, and this person said the other day to me, actually said, "Hey, what's up with this guy in Florida?" Um, they said, "I think I'd rather have Trump back in there than this guy. He's scary." So whatever that perception is. You know, I don't know whether it's, you know, where that's coming from, but there's that perception out there. And, and, and I want to reiterate, I don't know. I mean, these are things I'm speculating on. I'm trying to get Kahaley to come on here sooner than later. I want to bounce some things off him about what his polling says. Now, I find this interesting. I find, you know, the, the swing state polling is very interesting. We touched on that um, yesterday a bit. In the eight swing states right now today, Two polls that I've read that are fairly, I mean, they're, they're not the best in the world, but they not they aren't paid for by the DNC or paid for by the RNC. I mean, you got to be careful with those polls. I mean, they oversample Democrats, oversample Republicans. It's got Biden at 49, Trump at 45. It's got uh, Biden at 48, excuse me, the swing states, Biden at 48, Trump at 46. And the swing states has got DeSantis 50 and Biden 44. I mean, if we've got a chance to vote for a Republican candidate who is six points ahead in the poll in these eight swing states, now, Rev, you're exactly right. Once Biden is the nominee, I mean, he becomes Trump 2.0. I mean, DeSantis. Yeah, DeSantis. I'm sorry, DeSantis 2.0. There's no question about that. But but I, I just think we've got to begin evaluating our decisions. I think blind loyalty to one candidate or another regardless of what the landscape of the election seems to be, I think it's not irresponsible. I'm not going that far. It's not irresponsible for you to be loyal to Trump. But but I think you've got to accept the reality that that right now Trump is a more questionable candidate. Would you agree to that? He's a riskier candidate. Of course. But, I mean, Trump's high risk, high reward. I mean, that's the nature of, I mean, he built hotels all over the world and the golf courses. I mean, he's always been, you know, to the, what would they say, to the future, to the, uh, the future belongs to the bold. I mean, Trump's a bold man. He's always been a bold man. That's what we're a bit enamored with. I mean, we like the fact that he's not, you know, um, the typical politician, so to speak. But I think if you, I mean, if we, if, we, if we begin to work through this process together and we start evaluating the pros and cons, um, the data is the data. And, and I think it's undeniable. I don't think, I mean, you can like what I'm saying or not, but the data is the data. And there's enough data out there to convince me that Trump can win, but it's much less likely that he does win than DeSantis. Now, what effect will the mainstream media have tearing DeSantis apart? Don't know. I don't have any idea. Once again, there are a lot of these more famous radio show hosts who make a lot more money and have a lot larger audience who have run for office and never won um, that, that say they know exactly what the future holds. I don't. I mean, I've run for office eight times, never lost. And I'll readily admit that I don't know what the future holds. But the snapshot today convinces me that we need to start getting our heads together and understanding what is best for the America First cause and agenda. Take a break. Back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937. couple of callers are there. Let's go to the phone. Joe in Hartsville. Good morning. Yeah, good morning, guys. Up until yesterday, I figured Trump would be able to 
appeal whatever they're trying to do to him. And if it went in the Supreme Court, it would be overturned. Now I'm not so sure when they did this decision on the uh, state's representatives determining the the voting. It's uh, what they call it, some kind of theory, a quaint theory. That's <laughs> we've lost the Constitution. It, it really, in my opinion, doesn't matter who we run. They'll love them as long as they're in the primary and as soon as they go to the general, they'll, they'll do all of them the same way. Although I do have hope for uh, Ron DeSantis because he was saved for a reason. You know, at, at that ball field, him and Mick Mulvaney, he was the shortstop and McVaney was the third baseman. And he happened to ride to the practice that day that got shot, Steve Scalise. And Mulvaney had to leave early. So DeSantis rode with him and they met the shooter in the parking lot. And the shooter actually asked him where the Republicans were practicing softball. And they told him they're right there on the field, and they got in their car and left. So since Steve Scalise was the second baseman, he was the closest one that the shooter could get to. But Mulvaney and DeSantis, who was the shortstop and the third baseman, they would have been the first one shot, and I'm pretty sure they wouldn't have survived that close anyway. But... Who knows? Um, once we get a nominee, whoever it is, they'll they'll go after him. They'll they'll charge him. Trump's you know been the best person in the world to him up until he became the nominee and then president. And then they go after him with because they're protecting their their gravy train. So I'm a little bit depressed this morning, but. Uh, I have one thing to rely on, and that's my my faith in the Lord. So y'all have a good one. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. 843-661-0937 is our number. And once again, I would rather have Trump as president. I mean, I, I, I got no problem at all going to the poll voting for Donald Trump. None. Zero. Would love, very enthusiastically support uh, President Trump. But, but I think we will agree in 16, it was Trump. Who would have been the most Trump-like candidate not named Donald Trump? Rand Paul? Yeah. Rand Paul or I mean, there Chris was Christie not was there. I mean, there was not. So, so Trump has reshaped yeah. the Republican Party. But nobody's up there talking about foreign policy. I mean, it's, it's all about American energy and American, uh, you know, inflation and the American way of life. I mean, so Trump has, without question, decided that this is where the Republican, I mean, not even, not not by himself. I mean, we were ready for that. We, we were tired of globalism and interventionism and, you know, and, and, and I all think the, he interpreted that's where the Republican voter was likely leaning. You know, and that, that's he something, identified well, I mean, that, that's something I've always been curious about. And I don't know the answer to that. I mean, Robert and I've talked a little bit about it. Did Trump see that or did it find him? The voter discontentment, the working class so discontented. I mean, did, did Trump, I've always wondered this, and I think it's one of the most interesting political questions in America today that we probably will never know the answer to. 
did Donald Trump have uh, you know a lot of information? Was was Trump data driven in talking about the game is rigged? I mean, because that in the, that's where he got his traction. I mean, the game is rigged. Um, I mean, I, you know, I think he articulated it very well at times, and I think at other times he struggled. But I mean, that was his calling card. I mean, that was his born to run. I mean, that you know, you, the game is rigged. Drain the swamp. Um, the American working class were primed for that. I mean, they, they were so enthusiastically willing to hear that and latch on to that and, and attach themselves to whatever candidate was going to, to say that. Now, I'll ask the Trump voters out there, uh, Rev, I'll start with you. Does this matter? I mean, I think you've accepted. I mean, you, you, you don't like to do this, but you've accepted that in a general election, it's probably more likely that DeSantis wins than Trump. Yeah. Reluctantly. Yeah. I mean, reluctantly, yeah. but you've kind of accepted, okay, he doesn't bring the baggage. I mean, Trump doesn't just bring baggage. He brings charisma. He brings a dominant presence. I mean, is does does DeSantis bring that? Not much. I mean, DeSantis is not the most charismatic man. He's not a dynamic personality like, like Trump is. So Trump sucks the all the oxygen out of the room. If, if we're talking independent voters in swing states, the ones that Trump theoretically lost between 16 and 20, then DeSantis probably does appeal to those and voters And that's exactly more. where I think we, we've got to, we got to put our heads together and say, what risk are we willing to take? I mean, there is no question a risk that if DeSantis becomes the nominee, they turn him into little Trump. I mean, he's uh, he's or he's un- even you, sure. Here's I mean, what you're going to read here. He's worse than he's Trump. worse than yeah. Trump. That's I mean, right. You know, he's worse than Trump. Trump Look, would get sidetracked and not pay attention. Yeah, you thought Trump was yeah. bad. This guy is this, 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 this really damn, dangerous. This, this damn DeSantis. I mean, he'll read the reports. That's what's going. You know what I mean? He, I mean, he, this son of a going to. I mean, he'll really read. I mean, he'll he'll get into this thing and the nuts and bolts of government. You better be careful what you. I mean, no question. I mean, that's coming. But I still believe that with independence, the quarter of a million independents in these five or six states, really three states, that will decide. Uh, the presidency, he's our best bet. And I don't want Joe Biden to be president any longer than we must have him as president. And I'm starting to think in a calculus sort of way, who gives us the best chance to win? I'm convinced today, maybe different in six months. I mean, there, there's no doubt about it. DeSantis may have a girlfriend. He may have, I mean, there's no telling. I mean, you know, things happen. Now, you, you're doing deep political analysis. Well, I'm, doing, and, and, I, I'm, I'm consuming data. Well, I mean, I, but, I'm doing, I'm consuming data. But here's my point. Have you not said all along the way you win votes, win elections, get more people to vote, to especially to independent folks that aren't exactly tuned into politics 24-7, do I know you, do I like you? Okay. Does that apply here? Sure. Sure. I mean, do you think Trump's a likable candidate with independent voters? Yeah. I mean, he's not a real likable guy. Well, look at his likability numbers. They've never been high. I mean, even in his best day, he is revered in certain circles. I just said he's the most dominant Republican candidate the Republican primary has probably ever had. But but is he loved? Is he is he liked? Do I know you? Do I like you? No question, we know him. I mean, there is not a single voter in America unfamiliar with who Donald Trump is. Do I like you? And I think his unfavorables with independents are problematic. And once again, I am doing it's not a deep dive, but it's a hard look at the data. And I think the data is pretty clear right now that Trump has not done anything to gain favor with independents 
that he lost in 2020. Now, we can debate whether Biden got 81 million votes or not, but there's no doubt Trump lost votes with independents. I mean, that's undeniable. Now, now, you know, a lot of people say, okay, but that's not enough to swing the election. We'll never know the answer to that. But but we like to focus on the overvoting in Wisconsin, the overvoting in precincts in Pennsylvania. That happened. There's no doubt about it. And I'll go to my I'll go to my grave believing that things happened that weren't on the up and up. But but I've also got to accept that it's a fact that Trump lost moderate Republicans and independent voters in some of these swing states. And that was costly. May have been uh, the most costly part of the 2020 election. And I think those, I know the moderate Republican has a tendency to vote Republican. I think some of the independents will have a tendency to vote against Biden because of fuel and inflation and is is just unserious way of running the country. But will they vote for Trump? I don't know. Will they vote for DeSantis? Yes. In essence, that's what I'm arguing. Will the independents in these five states vote for Trump? I don't know. Will they vote for DeSantis? I think they will. And that's kind of where the data leads me. Let's go to the phone. Jamie in Darlington. Good morning. Good morning. Ken, I want to ask you a quick question. Um, I think I heard maybe a week, maybe a week and a half ago, um, somebody was tying the bushes with uh, DeSantis. Have you heard that? And if that's true, that'd be a big, big problem with a lot of voters. And I'll but, take it off the air. Thank you, Jan. Well, I mean, I, I know the Trump crowd, and uh, you would expect this. It's a primary, um, and primary voters aren't crazy about the Bushes right now. So you would expect the, um, the the connection or the connecting of DeSantis and his campaign to um to Bush. Has DeSantis met with former Bush supporters? Yes. Has he met with former Bush supporters more than I'm comfortable with? No. Do I know how influenced the neoconservative legacy Republican Party will be on Ron DeSantis? I'm concerned about that. Of course I am. That's got to be a part of the calculus. If I believed that DeSantis was heavily influenced by the neoconservative Republican Party of days gone by, I'd probably roll the dice with Trump. But if I'm arguing that Trump has a 40 to 50% chance of becoming president and DeSantis is tainted, by the, the neocons of days gone by, I'm probably still willing to take my chances with Trump. But if DeSantis can say things that convince me and other voters, look, I've got to play the game to some degree, right? I mean, I can't isolate Republican voters or supporters, but but I'm not in bed with them. I think that's what Jam's asking. I think Jam, I mean, I know Jam. Jam's probably okay with a casual meeting and maybe accepting some some um, contributions, but but I don't want you on my leadership team. I don't want Carl Rove directing the course and path of where the DeSantis campaign um, decides to go. I think one important thing DeSantis needs to say sooner than later is I'll give every Republican voter my word. If I'm ever president, Trump gets pardoned and the Biden get investigated to the ends of the earth. I think he gained some favor. I think he's got to mean it. He can't say it just to politically, you know, um, pander to certain people. But I think DeSantis needs to say that pretty soon. If I'm president, Trump gets pardoned, unapologetically pardoned, and the Bidens get investigated in a way they have never been investigated before. And I think that's going to happen prior to to, to DeSantis being elected. And, um, you know, people ask me a lot, well, I mean, Biden's got all these problems. I mean, surely he can back up to Trump. Yes, 
He can. But but I still go back to J- Joe's comments about, you know, yesterday, the Supreme Court, the day before, the courts ruled that basically the Constitution doesn't know what it's talking about when it says the legislative body has the authority to monitor, police, and regulate um, state elections. We don't have a, uh, a federal election. I mean, you know, one state does it one way, another state does it another way. And, and out of that comes kind of a hodgepodge of policy and, and I guess the process of which we monitor and regulate elections. And the, the courts basically said some of these constitutional officers in some of these states can kind of sort of do what they choose to do at a moment's notice. Take a break. Back in just a few moments. Okay, we positioned this argument. Stick with me for two seconds. Got a call. We'll get there. We positioned this argument that DeSantis doesn't have as good a chance to win the Republican primary, but he has a better chance of winning the general election. That's not uncommon. I mean, that happens from time to time. This person is not the best primary candidate, but they would be very appealing or attractive in a in a general election. Those folks don't normally win the primaries. Um, the primaries are selections, not elections. Here's what we can't have happen. I mean, once again, what did Mellencamp say? There are things I know and things I don't know. A lot of things I know. A lot of things I don't know. There are a lot of things I'm speculating on about where we are today. I believe personally that if the election were today, DeSantis gives the Republicans the best chance to win in November of 2024. Here's what I'm not speculating on. Here's what I know to be true. The Trump crowd can't boycott a DeSantis nomination, and the DeSantis crowd cannot boycott. DeSantis doesn't have an army. I mean, DeSantis has a base, and, and it's really and truly those who would support Trump if not for the, you know, the shenanigans that have come along. And some have been cooked up, no question about it, but it is what it is. Do you control CBS News? I mean, if not, stop whining. I mean, they're going to do what they're going to do. ABC, they're going to continue to do what it is they do. They're they're going to propagandize for the American political left. It's an extension of the DNC. That's what the media is today. You know it. I know it. More and more independents are becoming aware of it, but there's nothing I can do about that. There's nothing you can do about that. Here's what I know we can't have happen. We can't have Trump voters deciding if Trump's not the nominee, I'm not playing ball. And the same thing with DeSantis. That is the only thing I am 1,000% sure of because if DeSantis protests a Trump nomination and Trump voters protest a DeSantis nomination, Joe Biden will be president again, and God help us all. Let's go to the phone. Here's Breeze. Good morning. Hey, what's up, guys? Kid, you're right. Trump did make some mistakes, no doubt about it. You say, you know, that's just a fact. But my question is, uh, did the same people count the votes in the Republican primary and the Democrat primary? They count the votes in the general election. That would be my first question. Another thing I would say is, you remember Limbaugh? I believe it was during Obama and Clinton. But anyway, that's kind of a joke, the mess of everybody. He got all of his... Uh, listeners to show up at the Democrat primaries and vote for Clinton to, to sort of push the, push the election on and on. But I, I would like uh, for us to do something like that in the Democrat primary. Of course, we might better be careful what we ask for, but I would like to see uh, us vote for Robert Kennedy 
in the Democrat primary, and uh, and I'd be curious to see if he, if he got enough support, what the Democrats would do, because you know what they did with Hillary and uh, Bernie Sanders. Sanders probably would have beat Hillary in a fair Democrat primary, but they just never would give him the electoral votes, even if he would, if I remember correctly. But I would be curious to see about that. And as far as independents go, I think a lot of people, and I've heard a few people say this, that uh, they are going to vote for Trump or Biden. They just it, they just leave that blank or not even bother showing up at the polls. So there may be a very low voter turnout for this election. I, I don't know. But uh, I do know this, that you must really, 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 really hate Donald Trump personally. I don't know if they hate his policies or not. But for anybody to have a straight face and come back out with a Joe Biden patch on his shirt, say he voted for Joe Biden, tells me that you don't really give a rat's ass about about who runs the country at all. And it just goes to show you a rat's ass probably could run the country. If they if they will keep voting Joe Biden in, so I mean, it, it, like you say, it is what it is. Or I mean, it's pathetic that anybody would think that Joe Biden's capable of running the country, you know. So, but anyway, uh, I just I would just like to see us kind of sabotage the Democrat primaries like they kind of do us all all the time. I'd like to see a little more of uh, uh, the guy like I said from India. I'd like to see more about the guy, uh, Bobby Kennedy's son, you know. But anyway. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate it. Well, I mean, you know, the election commission runs the primaries and the general. I mean, so it's, you know, the same people are responsible. I'm not saying the same poll watcher is there, you know, this cycle and that cycle. But, I mean, the election commission uh, runs the state elections. The only problem with Breeze's theory or, or you know, idea that we muck up the, uh, the Democrat primary, we've got a hotly contested Republican primary. Now, but it would be real easy if, you know, if there weren't a competitive primary on the Republican side to go vote for Robert Kennedy or somebody else on the Democrat side. I mean, they do that. The Democrats have done a lot of that. Um, a lot of Congressman Tom Rice's theory, uh, the way to beat Russell Fry. I mean, after the impeachment vote of Donald Trump was to get crossover vote, to convince every, I mean, I looked at the math, this goes back to data, and I was convinced that the only way Rice wins is to get every single Democrat in that district to cross over and vote in the Republican primary. And I just knew that was not going to happen. Not not a chance in Hades of that ever happening. But, you know, I, I get it. I mean, it would be fun to mess around or screw around with the Democrat primary. But there's a pretty big choice to be made on the Republican side. You know, the, the right. others are auditioning. Um, Tim Scott, I think there's a chance for Tim to get to 10 or 11%. Mike Pence will probably get 10 or 11%. But this is a two-horse race. I mean, right now, in all honesty, it's a one-horse race. I mean, this isn't, you know, this isn't a neck-and-neck neck primary. I mean, DeSantis has a lot of gain to be. DeSantis has a lot of room to make up. And he better start making some gains. And, you know, one of the reasons I want to talk to Robert is, as a pollster slash strategist, what sort of advice would you give Ron DeSantis? You know, when you're 20 or 30 points down. I mean, I don't think Trump's at 60, but I think he's in the 50s. I mean, I think Trump, I think 52's legit. I mean, that's a big number in a crowded primary. I mean, that, that exceeds what I always thought Trump's ceiling was. But, but that's a primary voter. That's an intense, loyal partisan for the most part. I mean, th th there are highly engaged primary voters, 
and then there are those who are less engaged. But but as a as kind of in, in relation to the to the to the general election voter, it's intense. I mean, they're informed, uh, they're invested, that they're a part of one campaign or another. They're a Trump voter or a DeSantis voter. Ain't no independence in a primary selection uh, process. But the one thing we can't have happen, and I have no idea, that would be an interesting poll question. You know, where does Wake Up Carolina's audience stand in relation to Trump or DeSantis? Uh, the interesting part of this is, we're a radio show in South Carolina that has a former senator and governor as part of the field, and it's still a two-horse race. Ah, it's a one and a horse, one and a half horse. <laughs> I mean, it really. I mean, well, I mean, if I'm DeSantis, and I know I have a credible, legitimate campaign, and I'm at 21 of the opponents at 52, I've got to do some things. I mean, how do I go to go to a donor and say, "Hey, I'm neck and neck with Trump in winning this thing." I mean, you go to you go to a donor and you say, "I'm 30 points down." Uh, the donor says, "I know that. That's why I'm holding my money. That's why I'm keeping my my powder dry." I mean, money's still the mother's milk, no question about it. It may be unusual the way we fund campaigns now, since Citizens United and you know political action committees and you know the different ways we <laughs> basically launder money to campaigns. I mean, that's kind of what what we're doing. Uh, you know, I don't know what they're doing over there. You know, they don't know what I'm doing. Of course you don't. I mean, yeah, we all believe there's a firewall between the political action committee and the candidate, right? I mean, nobody believes there's coordination going on between any the of those. Because be. they're such virtu virtuous souls. Mm -hmm. That's why they got in the business of clergy and politics, right? That's where virtue resides. Oh, yeah. uh, and the, the pulpit and, and the body politic. That's where, that's where virtuous people um, head off to. But, but the one thing, and I want to reiterate, I mean, you know this, but we need to be reminded. If DeSantis does not win the primary, he needs to encourage his voters to go support Trump. That's likely to happen. DeSantis has too much at stake. I mean, he has a political future. Donald Trump's political future is now. I mean, everybody knows that. I mean, this is it for him. I mean, this is the swan song. You know, if it plays out fine, if it doesn't, then he goes off and, and does his thing, plays golf, and I doubt he builds more hotels at his age. But, but DeSantis has a future. I mean, you know, even if he loses. I mean, I've had people tell me, man, it really, but DeSantis is making a mistake because it's it's not likely he wins the primary and there's never a bad time to lose. I'll agree with that. In theory, there's never, excuse me, never a good time to lose. But DeSantis is still a bright star in the Republican uh, primary. And I know that because the data says that many of the Trump voters perceive him to be by far the second best choice. I mean, that, that's kind of a, that's a big deal for him. The Trump voter considers Ron DeSantis easily to be the second best choice. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Larry in the PD. Morning. Hey, good morning. So here's the thing. If I were going to give Ron DeSantis some advice, I would say um, don't take too much money from never Trump backers. And don't beat Trump up too hard in the primary because you probably need to be his vice presidential pick. And I would love to know what the polls say about Trump's chances against Biden when DeSantis is his VP pick. I bet you he increases dramatically against Biden if DeSantis is the VP because we all know Trump's going to be a one-term president. Uh, he has to be. 
So that's not too long to ask an aspiring political candidate to wait for your turn at president. He gains all the national recognition that comes with being a vice president, which he still sort of lacks. Um, and I feel like you you that's the only way that this thing plays out to me that it works today. Um, like I said, we don't know what's coming out tomorrow. You know, uh, if, if Trump's in jail, it might be different. If DeSantis is in jail, it might be different. But I think he's got to be the VP pick because you got to join him. But I will echo with what Bree said. If you have been a Republican and you've voted Republican in the last several presidential elections, and you've got the nerve to say that if Trump's the nominee, you're going to vote for Biden, you are either unstable in your ways or you have become unhinged or you have become tainted by all of the negative press that you've heard because there's not a single Republican in the world that could honestly say Biden is a better option than Trump with all his flaws. I don't even know how, like you say, I don't even know how you fix your mouth to say that uh, and say you're a Republican. So uh, I would tell DeSantis you can't beat him up too hard because it doesn't look like you can gain 40 points on him with all these people in the field. And uh, if you guys don't beat each other up too hard, then you can make up and you can embrace each other and run on the ticket together. And I think that does beat Biden. Thank you, Larry. Appreciate that. Now you're talking about language. See, see, I think think Trump can beat up on DeSantis. I think Trump has the luxury of of being allowed to do whatever he chooses with Ron DeSantis. I think DeSantis has to be far more careful, far more strategic. DeSantis is not, I mean, Larry nailed it. He's not the most relevant political figure on the big stage. He's a well-known commodity in Florida. He's, he's kind of kind of built a somewhat of a niche. He's a culture warrior. He'll take on the big boys. He's kind of a nuts and bolts campaigner. But I mean, there are a lot of qualities that, that lead me to believe he'd be a good president. Uh, kind of kind of a um, a tactician a, a little bit. Plays the long game. Uh, stubborn. I mean, there, there's some qualities he has that that people. Uh, and I'm talking about Trump voters. That Trump voters like. I mean, he took on Disney. Took on the teachers union. Um, executed the role and responsibility of governor in a professional fashion. Um, but Trump doesn't have to be bridled by that. I mean, Trump can go after DeSantis nonstop and not, because that's what you expect Trump to do. I mean, Donald Trump called Brett Baer yesterday a nasty man. <laughs> Why? Because <laughs> Baer asked a question that Trump didn't answer well. It was, it was Baer's fault asking the question <laughs> but i mean you're laughing about it i'm laughing about it right. that doesn't affect my opinion of trump i mean that's just trump you accept that as who he is and if you are a republican i don't care how narcissistic bombastic irreverent undisciplined donald trump is he's better than the democrats period so if you ascribe to the republican agenda and the Republican platform, and you remotely believe in limited government, personal responsibility, and, uh, you know, just some of the fundamentals of, of the differences of the two parties, I mean, you're, you're not a Republican if you sit on the side. Well, if you if you sit on the sideline, that's your prerogative. You know, I can't bring myself to vote for Trump. I mean, I, I can, to some degree, understand that. But to vote for Biden? I mean, the Lincoln Project is out there now saying if Trump and Biden are the two candidates, it's easy for us. And they 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 refer to themselves as Republican activists. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're not Republican activists; they're political prostitutes. 
and they're being paid to stop Donald Trump from getting elected uh, president of the United States. As much as I like Rocky One and the underdog, I mean, I, I want to be for Trump. I mean, I, I want desperately to be for Trump. But but the the, ah, the, the pragmatist in me says it's just going to be hard for him to win. Now, now, Larry talked about this dream team, this super ticket that Rev is uh, aspired for. You've got Trump on top of the ticket. You've got DeSantis as his VP. Uh, you know, that, that you pick your top contender in a primary. I mean, that happens from time to time. But you pick up, you know, the guy that you believe will carry the baton the next eight years after I'm out of here in four years. I mean, there's a reason to be optimistic and supportive of that. Um, the other is Brian Kemp. I mean, I keep going to back to Brian Kemp. I don't think Kemp says, ah, it, it doesn't make as much sense for Trump to pick Kemp as it would for Trump to pick DeSantis. But if DeSantis and Trump can't come, you know, to, to some sort of terms on, you know, will you be the VP? I mean, first of all, would Trump pick DeSantis because he's disloyal? You know, he took on um, the king. And, you know, and Trump has a, I mean, you're, you're nodding your head. You know this to be true. Trump has a hard time. At, at, at doing that. I mean, he, you know, I, I, I want unequivocal loyalty. Uh, you owe me loyalty. And once you become unloyal, you get on that other list. And we'll deal with you accordingly. Now, if Trump wants to win, he, he'll kind of put that in his pocket for a day or two and say, hey, you know, my people that know the science of politics tell me that I'm more likely to win if Ron DeSantis is my running mate. And as much as I don't like the fact that he wasn't loyal, I do want to be president again, and then Trump's got to do that within. I mean, I can't do that for him. You can't do that for him. He's got to make that call. So let's hypothetically say Trump is the nominee. I mean, that looks likely. So that's not a crazy hypothetical. Trump's the nominee. He sits down with his top aides and advisors and tries to pick a VP. And they try to talk him into DeSantis, and he says, no, I'm not doing that. I'd rather lose. I'd rather do it my way, as Frank Sinatra and Elvis Presley said. Who's the next guy? To me, it's Brian Kemp, but then go back to, to he and Kemp. I mean, Kemp say, you know, uh, 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 just didn't do the right thing and a traitor to the country. And I mean, it's going to be hard to find somebody on that list that Trump hadn't crossed swords with. That's the problem he has, Rev. As far as I'm concerned, you can't burn every bridge. He is a dominant political force. He is an absolute political unicorn. He is an anomaly unlike any I've ever seen. But you can't burn every bridge and expect to be uh, a team. You just cannot do that. And um, I mean, I don't think his voters have thrown Brian Kemp to the wolves. I don't think his voters have thrown Ron DeSantis or Brett Baer, Nikki Haley, or whomever. The only person that I know Trump has not said something negative about is Tim Scott. But Tim's kind of sort of played it soft with, uh, with Donald Trump. 843 Six six one zero nine three seven. Do want to announce? I just talked to Robert. A text back and forth. Robert Cahalia Trafalgar is scheduled to be with us at eight oh five. Want to bounce some things off? I mean, he's a professional. I mean, I guess to some degree, I'm a professional candidate, but he's a professional strategist and pollster, and um, and that's far more. He's far more equipped to give a professional analysis than I am. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. want to remind you at 805, Josh is to call Robert Cahaley. He'll give a professional analysis. I am, I mean, I'm looking at a lot of different data. I'm interpreting to the best of my ability what the data suggests to me. But Robert does this for a living. I mean, it's his livelihood. And I want to kind of go down the road of, um, am I, am I on to something here? 
or am I completely off base? Or I would imagine his answer will be ah, a little of both. <laughs> I mean, you're probably onto something here, and you're probably, I mean, my, my numbers say that you're a little off base there. I want to know what you think about Larry's idea, which I love. I've been saying that all along as well. If Trump and DeSantis could team up, okay, let's say miracles happen and they team up and they are the ticket. Trump on top, DeSantis is VP. Do you think that increases the chances of beating Biden in the general? Uh, yes. I mean, I think it increases the likelihood that you have max turnout on your side. On the I think it increases okay. the likelihood that the Trump and DeSantis crowd show up in Pennsylvania, show up in Wisconsin, show up in Michigan, show up in Arizona, Nevada, Georgia. Yes. But but I, it, it doesn't dismiss the fact that Trump's still top of the ticket and that generates an anti-Trump vote. Um and, and I think, you know, the point Larry made, and we know this, I mean, we're talking about things all of us are somewhat aware of. I mean, there's an anti-Trump sentiment out there. And it's, I mean, it's influential. It's pretty intense. <laughs> it I mean, it's almost as intense as the Trump, you know, crowd. He's a very polarizing political figure, unapologetically uh, polarizing. I think he relishes the opportunity to be even more polarizing. And the game the media's played, from my perspective, you, you can say, well, the media's made all these accusations. They, they, they'd offered, you know, kind of, kind of the one-side story, the one-sidedness of the story. They're doing that intentionally. The media wants Donald Trump to be the Republican nominee. The media believes that Trump is easier to beat than DeSantis. The media knows that if they know that you already believe that Trump has been persecuted, Trump has been treated differently than anybody else ever has. They know that you believe that. They're not morons, but they're liberal activists. They're propaganda arm for the DNC, but they're not idiots. I mean, they, they keep up with this for a living. They know what they're doing. So they know how intensely loyal Trump supporters are. They know that the majority of loyalty resides in the fact that he's been persecuted. He's been treated fundamentally different than any other president ever has. So when they dial up the heat and say Trump's a crook, Trump should be indicted, arrested, uh, put in jail, what does that do? Do they believe that you begin to second-guess your support of Trump? No. They know you dig in. They know it's more likely that Trump wins the nomination if he's been indicted. They know it's more likely that Trump wins the nomination from a prison cell. They know that. So they're feeding you exactly what, what I mean, they're, they're not making a big mistake here. They believe that Trump is easier to beat in November than DeSantis. They know that you're intensely loyal to Trump, and, and one of the prerequisites for loyalty is that he's been treated differently. So, you know, they're playing the game along with you. Now, independents, I don't know how much attention they're paying to that, but, but to your point about Trump and DeSantis, I do believe the upside of a Trump-DeSantis ticket is DeSantis brings his folks with him, Trump brings, obviously, his people with him. And if you lose, you didn't lose because a lot of Republicans stayed home. You, lo you lose because the independents just couldn't quite get there with Trump remaining as the uh, as the headliner. Let's go to the phone. Lynn in Sumter, listening to WDXY. Good morning. Um, good morning. Just a couple of comments. So Trump DeSantis, yes, I thought about that two and a half years ago. Uh, I thought there's there's our team. They're the winners right there. Because if we can get Trump in again, have DeSantis with him, then maybe we can have eight years with DeSantis. 
Um, and I hate, I don't want people to make such a big deal. I, I hope Trump will ease off on DeSantis and, and not, you know, throw too many ugly things to say about him out there. Second thing is um, burning bridges. You were talking about that, Trump burning the bridges. Well, when Trump was in there, he just got the stuff done. Now, I'm not saying he did everything right, but he just got it done, and he did not care what anybody else thought about, including his VP. He was moving forward with his agenda to do what he thought was the right thing to do. I'm not saying it was all right, but a lot of it was right. And I think that's what we need. And I'm fearful that if DeSantis becomes president, he may not have that same, the, the ability to ignore what everybody else is saying about him and the bull that would be coming after him, the way Trump just was able to keep moving forward. I don't know if DeSantis could do that. Could Trump do it again? I think he could. Are we going to hear a lot of blah, 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 blah from him on all, you know, whatever? Yeah, we probably would. But with the Democrats, the Democrats thrive on confusion and drama. That is what they live for. There's a large population, and I'm just going to say it, a large population of Democrats that don't watch the news, they don't keep up with anything that's factual, they just hear it from another source, and that's church. And, that, uh, I mean, yeah, not everything truthful comes out of the pulpit. That's a fact. We all know that. If the Republicans could get behind Donald Trump and support him, and say, hey, yeah, there's been a lot of drama. See, Republicans don't like that. We hear one bad thing about somebody, and we're ready to turn that person off. And I know, because I've been there, I've felt that way before about different people. You hear one bad, he needs to get out of office. They need to boot him out. Why are people still voting for him? You know, we're, we, we are less tolerant when it comes to the drama. Well, I mean, thank you, Lynn. Appreciate it. Trump is his biggest, uh, I mean, biggest advocate and biggest foe. I mean, that's most of us in our lives, our biggest strengths or our biggest weaknesses. His biggest strength is he does it his way. His biggest weakness can be he does it his way. Um, I mean, that that's not unusual, uncommon. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Politicians are like everybody else, just a little more so. Um, and, and Trump is an extreme example of um of that but but i think trump is made and and i would tell him this i mean he would not care what i say i mean he's gonna walk the beat of his own drum no matter if ringo stars playing or not but 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 in truthfulness i think he's made it more difficult i'll say this and i've got republican friends who feel this way trump has been a good president trump had a chance to be a transformational president He's been a good president. I mean, I don't think there's any question. I think he'd be a good president again. 
I think he gets the big issues. I think he struggles with some of the minutia. I think he gets bored with the repetition of meetings and notes and I mean summaries and I mean that, that's part of the game and, and I can relate to that. I mean I think Trump's probably clinically ADHD or you know I mean big picture. I mean I've got the big picture. I understand the big picture. The minutia you guys handle that. You know the daily grind you guys handle that. And I think you've got to be accepting of both are important. That there is a daily grind. I mean I think one thing that DeSantis has going to his uh, or in his favor is. When DeSantis said a couple of weeks back that he wants to disassemble some of the major government organizations, I think people trust him to be nutsy and boldy enough, you know, to kind of stay in the room long enough to order staff members or, or some subordinates that, hey, when I said disassemble the FBI, here's what I had in mind. When I said disassemble the DOJ or the IRS, here's what I had in mind. He didn't say abolish. He said disassemble. I mean, he wants to basically move FBI headquarters to Hoboken, New Jersey, move the IRS to Houston, Texas. I mean, that, that, that's his idea of disassemble. So I think DeSantis, I mean, DeSantis can't be Trump. I mean, you know, he doesn't need to try that. Um, every candidate that has ever tried, Trump endorses the candidate tries to be Trump-like. It doesn't work. I mean, he's a political unicorn. Accept that. You've got to stay in your lane. So I think DeSantis has to convince Republican voters that he's unique, he's contrasting, he's not an establishment Republican. Because the, the, the one thing I'm sure of in the Republican Party today, we're not voting for an establishment Republican. We're not voting for a neocon. We're just not. But the National Review is trying their damnedest to convince us to kind of U-turn and go back. And the Wall Street Journal and all the um, all of the, the thinking man's Republicans have, you know, they're trying everything they can to turn this ship around and become kind of the uh, the interventionist, globalist, warmongering party that we've historically been in legacy fashion. That's not happening. I mean, that's just not happening. So DeSantis has to figure out a way to be full-throttled America first, but he can't be Trump. He'll look foolish if he tries to duplicate some of what Trump's antics are his behaviors are. Trump gets away with things that other people just cannot get away with. Some find it entertaining. Some find it amusing. Some find it refreshing. And some find it appalling. Some find it disgusting. Some, some uh, The irreverence doesn't bother me a bit in the world. The profanity doesn't bother me a bit in the world. The bombast, I find a bit humorous. Um, the, the the lack of humility concerns me. I've said that. I'm the, the lack of humility is, is is kind of his blind spot as far as I'm concerned. Um, but we'll we'll get to meet Ron DeSantis. Some of the majority of us have met him from afar, but we'll get a chance to really engage with DeSantis at some point in time and find out what we like, what we don't like, what we wish he was, what we're glad he is, just as we did with Trump. But Trump is in your face. I mean, we've already made our minds up as a nation how we feel about Donald Trump. Now, Rev's, Rev's right. There's one added ingredient in 2024 that was not the case in 20. We know that Biden sucks as a president. Now, now, how many independents say, I don't like Trump, but I but I, I, I don't dislike him as much as Biden sucks. So, so I'm, you know, I mean, there'll be some of that. Obviously, mm-hmm. there'll be some of that. I just, I'm convinced right now as we sit, it's not enough to convince independents in certain places where he needs independents to vote for the Republican instead of the incompetency 
of a Democrat and Joe Biden. Let's go to the phone. We'll Daphne take- in Dillon. Good morning. Good morning, guys. Uh, I want to put my two cents worth in on who should be eliminated, uh, Haley and Pence, because simply of what they came out with in the last two weeks. Uh, Haley said she would welcome Disney into South Carolina if she were still the governor. Uh, Pence said that uh, DeSantis was anti-corporations. So that means simply that neither one of them have a problem with Disney wanting five, six, seven-year-olds indoctrinated into sexual content or uh, gender fluidity. And Pence, of course, claims to be the most moral person ever to be in Congress. You look at what a person's done, and when he was in Congress, he never stood up and fought for anything. When he was over the COVID uh, committee, there were numerous people that came out and said that Fauci was the one that was running the COVID that Pence nor no one else stood up and objected to what Fauci said. The other thing, three words I despise, is bipartisanship, pragmatism, and compromise, because that's what the Republican Party has always done, and they do it over and over. 2010, give us the House. We'll do something about this. No, they didn't. 2012, give us the Senate. We'll do something about this. No, they didn't. But when the Democrats are in the minority, the Republicans scream, oh, they're stopping us from doing stuff. So that lets you know who is and who is not sincere about putting America back on the right track. Thank you. Thank you, Daphne. You appreciate that. And I mean, D- Daphne went specifically down the road. I mean, gave specific examples. But the Republican Party is an America First party right now. I mean, it, you know, they're sorting through what its priorities are. Josh came in this morning, and we've actually got the uh, policy director of American Compass that we think will join us Friday morning. If I'm not mistaken, that's I mean, correct. That, that's the plan so far. And Josh came in this morning and said, hey, they want to know what, what it is you want to talk to them about. And I said, I told Josh, I said, Josh, America first has been kind of a comet flying through the, the galaxy. Doesn't know where it's going, but it's going a million miles an hour, and it's burning hot as fire. I mean, it's burning, and it's moving, and it, it's energetic, and it's, 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 it's just uh, it's a little bit out of control. Somebody's got to address the, the policy initiatives to provide the intellectual underpinning. That's the words I keep going to. Um, J.D. Vance, I think, has done more of that than anybody in in Washington, but it seems that American Compass, well, that's kind of where we are, and that's why I think there's a an interest in DeSantis. He's been a bit policy-oriented. He's been a successful governor. You can't be a successful governor without working the political body in its traditional fashion, and I think a lot of thoughtful Republicans who are America first or say, hey, man, I really appreciate what Trump did. 
about that comet flying through the sky. We forever owe it a debt of gratitude, but I'm not sure he's the guy that'll sit in the room for six or eight hours and work through some of this intellectual underpinning of policy that is necessary to advance and sustain a political movement. Take a break. Back in a few moments. 843-661-0937 is our number. We've tried to, for the first couple of hours of today's broadcast, analyze where we think we are. Let me, that's unfair. We've analyzed where I think we are in regards to the Republican primary. We've not dedicated enough time to that. We really can truly have chased these other uh, electric vehicles and uh, Ukrainian situation. And obviously the Biden scandal has occupied a lot of our time. I've never covered an issue in 11 years of radio as complicated as the Biden scandal because there's no reporting on it. I mean, there, there's no Wall Street Journal articles or CBS news stories to either affirm or contradict one or the other. But I did feel, as we take off the week of four, uh, the July 4th week, that let's kind of set the table of where we think we are in regards uh, to the Republican primary. But I'm a non-professional. I mean, I'm a former candidate. Uh, I'm not analytically inclined. I'm not statistically inclined. I'm more instinctive in gut. Robert Cahaley of Trafalgar, senior strategist at Trafalgar, is um, a professional. He is someone who can, 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 can understand the data in a different way than most of us can. Robert's been kind enough to join us this morning. Good morning, sir. How are you? Son, good to be here. So, Robert, I'm making an argument, and I want to get your take on this. From what my reviewing of the data, my interpretation of the data is that Donald Trump can win, but it's far more likely DeSantis does. Is that a fair analysis? DeSantis does win the primary? No, the, the general election. I mean, you know, and I'm calling oh, okay. it. Okay. Well, no, okay, no. Okay. okay, let's back up half step. This is not even a two-horse race as we speak. I mean, to me, it's a one-and-a-horse uh, race. I mean, you got Trump, and then you've got DeSantis far behind, and then even further behind than that you've got. But, but the argument I'm making is Trump is, without question, the dominant political figure in the Republican primary. But, but I see signs that lead me to believe he would struggle in a general. What say you to that? Well, <clears throat> I think we've already seen the left starting to demonstrate how they would attack the Senate. The left has a real problem with any Republican who rises based on populist messaging. So any Republican who comes up with that messaging is going to be attacked almost as viciously. Now, of the Republicans who would have a chance in the general election, I would say a lot of them have a, a have a great chance if it's Biden. Um, as a matter of fact, if it's Biden, most of them have an excellent chance of beating Biden. Most every candidate running for president on the Republican side. Now, if they get you know a, a ticket a, a little little smoother and a little younger, it, it could get more competitive. But I, I would tell you that as far as the general election goes. I would think that DeSantis would be just as attacked and as as Trump. As a matter of fact, they're beating him up on the uh, uh, his signing of a heartbeat bill, making him an extremist on abortion. Uh, they would, from what from what's been going on lately, they've been attacking him more on abortion than Trump. They've been attacking him on Disney and all the other stuff. So 
I, I don't know that I would say DeSantis directly would be uh, uh, better than Trump, but I, I think both of them can beat, can win the general election. But as far as if you're just trying to elect a Republican and win the general election, then you probably would be, ought to be looking at Tim Scott or a Chris Christie or something. But, but if it's about, you know, which which of the ones who are leading you win the general election, yeah, I would definitely say DeSantis has an advantage over Trump. But the both of them will be attacked the way anybody espousing populist ideology is going to be attacked. Robert, how burdensome is, and this is a, kind of a general word, but the, the baggage that Trump brings. I mean, Trump brings a, I mean, he's a political unicorn. We've never seen anybody like him, but he does bring baggage to the equation. How do, how do pollsters and strategists account for the negativity around that baggage Trump brings? And I'm talking about his personality, his bombast, his narcissism. I mean, you know, I know Republican voters who will vote for Trump, but they don't care much for him, and they associate his personality with that baggage. H- how big a, a drag is that? Uh, you know, it can be a significant drag, and one of the ways we, we've measured that is by asking people second choices. And uh, one of the things we talked about on the last time I did Bartiromo's morning show on Sunday was the fact that if you tell people, all right, we know what your first choice is, now which which of the following candidates is your second choice, even if you don't say Trump's name again, the vast majority of Trump voters say Trump again. And the fact that they say Trump the second time is really strange. I mean, like the list that he met Trump on it, they will interrupt and say, well, no, I want Trump again, you know. And like, but no, no, you're supposed to put somebody different. I don't care. And like they, they will bust the rule of the poll just to say Trump the second time. That is very unique. So I don't think that element of his following is going anywhere. If I think anything, I, I think some of this constant legal stuff is 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 literally giving him strength in that it, it's, it's kind of reinforcing his narrative that they'll do anything to keep me out of Washington. And I think there's part of it. Yeah, there's part of it who put this to his personality. But, you know, he's not. These are these these things aren't happening because of mean tweets. You know, both impeachments had nothing to do with his personality, and uh, I mean, certainly, I would think the only thing it has to do with the personality is probably this crazy lady thinking she can claim that she got raped twenty years ago. That might have to do with something his personality and things he said. But as far as every, all the other stuff that's happening, it, it is really stuff of people digging into his record. And, uh, you know, basically reading things that aren't there. Maybe, listen, we've all heard the phone call in Georgia. That sounds like a guy lightheartedly saying, hey, you find a there, girl, which find me 11,000. I mean, it didn't sound like you need to find me 11,000 votes. <laughs> it, it's totally different, but, you know, people can read it as they want. They see all the things that are coming after Trump as nonsense. Uh, now, there's a real question as to what the Presidential Records Act covers, and we see so many different interpretations of it. I, I'd love to get a clear answer, uh, but I don't know that any of us have a clear answer. But uh, so, it, you know, whether that's been violated, I mean, the tape they have is very meaningful depending upon what the Presidential Records Act actually means. Robert, do you expect the Republican primary to tighten up? I mean, I call it a one and a half horse race today. I mean, do you expect us at some point in time before 
the primary before people start voting in primaries for this race to get significantly closer? You know, right now it doesn't seem that way. Um, it doesn't seem that it's uh, it doesn't seem it's headed that way. I think a lot of dynamics will occur around that Republican debate. Uh, and by that, I mean which Republicans make, make the stage. Um, if I had to guess, Trump will say he's not coming as he waits to see who's in it. And then maybe make a game time decision because if Trump decided five minutes before that debate started that he wanted to go, they'd give him a, they'd give him a, they would uh, set up a podium for him because they know the ratings will be incredible if he does come. So I think we're going to see, I don't think we'll see any big shakeup until then because right now in politics, I mean, this is no man's land. Uh, everybody's kind of off. And, and by everybody, I mean, a lot of the reporters have taken time off. Uh, you notice you're starting to see a lot of guest hosts on TV. Well, e- even more so in the reporting crowd. So it's just people working skeleton crews right now, and there's just there's there's just not the intense reporting you're going to have uh, probably until mid-August again when this thing all starts getting cranked up, which is right about the time of that debate. So I, I would say it's not going to change much until that debate. And, and, and you know, some of these chairs may shuffle. The only thing I'm seeing really moving right now is uh, Tim Scott. Tim Scott appears to be a uh, a vote vampire, and he is sucking all the votes out of Nikki Haley as fast as he can. I have never seen something happen so fast. So many people who were for Haley have come over to Tim Scott. Uh, he started to be uh, even with her in some polls, uh, but it would not surprise me if Tim Scott has completely surpassed Haley in every poll by the time we get to the summer. Robert, interesting doesn't mean when, but Vivek Ramaswamy has made an interesting impact in the Republican primary. Uh, once again, that, that, that says a former politician who finds him interesting. Does that reflect any at all in the data? Absolutely. Look, I mean, the guy was at 1%. And now he's in the conversation with Christy, Haley, and Scott. I, I, mean, I, I mean, listen, this guy, I mean, if, this guy's the Don Lemon Slayer. He's the Chuck Todd Slayer. I mean, this guy's not afraid to go on any leftist broadcast. And unlike Tim Scott, you know, who, who made his points on The View, I think Ramaswamy would have probably ended up with one of them having to resign on The View. I mean, when this guy gets done with you, it's not pretty. Uh, he, he has a very good way of putting people in their place. He is sharp on his feet. And if Ramaswamy is not a big... It you know doesn't finish and 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 make it this time. I mean I, I don't think he, this guy's going anywhere, and um, he's he's literally made a name for himself. I mean if you look back at, at where it started, I mean if if this, if this was like high school or college football, this guy gets the most improved award without a doubt. Is our party now? Is the party that you and I have? Kind of, I mean, you grew up more so than I did as an activist and 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 kind of a worker bee, and ends up, you know, on the good side of polling and strategizing and whatnot. Is our party today? Uh, is it as simple as describing our party and its evolution today as a pro-worker, anti-war party, 
or is that simply a movement within the bigger Republican Party? I would say it's an, our economics are that of pro work or of how does it affect pro worker and how does it affect domestic? So, like, do we like free trade? Yeah. Do we like fair trade? That's what our definition of free trade is. So it, you know, it. I would say it's a, it's it's a pro United States, as in what is our our specific economic and military best interest. So if a conflict is in, like, for example, Taiwan, losing Taiwan to China destroys our economy. There's no question that is in America's best interest. There's no question that is a place where with having a fight because nobody didn't any knew anything if we lose Taiwan right now with the level of chip manufacturing to where it is. Um, uh, some can argue about uh, how that affects in Ukraine, you know, I think the Ukraine uh, we're, we're beating Russia and destroying them for a very for a few pennies on the dollar what it would cost to do it with our actual military and our, our people. I mean, our military's cost is people, not really weaponry, and and we don't want to see our kids coming home in body bags. So if we can just spend money over there, but there are certainly Republicans who oppose all of it. Um, but I, I think that it, it is a people's uh, kind of. Small. I, I wouldn't even say worker. I would just say people who work hard for a living party. So a guy who owns three dry cleaners, he, he's probably a little. He's probably what some would consider rich, but he works hard every day. He would consider himself a Republican. Consider himself a Republican. Now a guy who's the CEO who walks around and eats nothing but catered lunches and flies on a private jet, he's rich and he don't work hard every day. <laughs> so, so so it's an anti-corporatist party. I, I, I would I would describe it as the work. The people who literally come home exhausted, it's it's the party for them. And the party that believes we made big mistakes in involving ourselves in foreign conflict that we were potentially misled about American safety and security. Right, and 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 and, and how we handled them wrong. Explain. Look, well, what do you mean? How you we look, handled them wrong. What did we learn after World War II? You don't go in and wipe out all the leadership in one of these countries. We didn't do it in Japan. We didn't do it in Germany. After those two conflicts, when, the, when World War II was over, we went through and we figured out which people were absolutely loyal to the, to the Nazis or to the Japanese and filtered them out and which people were just kind of, you know, conscripts signing up to help their country and put them in charge. And gave them a sense of self-government back. We went into Iraq and destroyed the Ba'ath Party completely, even though that party was very good at running the government. And we could have said, "Hey, Saddam's not in charge. We're going to have a democracy, and you know we're going to pay all you guys to defend it." Instead, we destroy the Ba'ath Party and turn them into the resistance. That is not learning the lessons of World War II that 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 have delivered such great results. That is literally going backwards in our knowledge. So, Robert, if this is where we are, and I'd be so interested in your take here because you know this world better, far better than I do. If we are a pro-work party and we're somewhat of an anti-interventionist party and, and we're somewhat of an anti-corporatist movement within our party, who pays the bills now? I mean, the Republican historically have raised a lot of money from Big Pharma, corporate America, the military-industrial complex. 
if we are serious about restoring the party to the people, who foots the bills? Who pays for candidates to win seats? Well, right now, our candidates are being funded uh, by small dollar contributions and by that level of people who are wealthy who actually earned it. You know, that, that first-generation wealth that built the company. Because there, there, there are a lot of people out there who, who worked very hard to make what turned out to be, a, a, you know, hundreds of millions or a few billion dollars. And those people are the ones funding it and not so much the corporations. Can you hang on one more second? I want to take a break, but can you stay with us one more segment? Yeah. Okay, let's take a break, Josh. I don't want to get too far behind, but I want to kind of go into this because Robert knows this world far better than anybody I know. And it's a big part of how Republicans compete moving forward. Take a break. Back in a few moments. Robert Cahaley, senior strategist with Travalgar, is going to stay with us one more segment. Back in a few. We're back, 843-661-0937. Robert Cahaley, senior strategist with Trafalgar, has agreed to stay with us for another segment. Robert, you still there? I am. But I, I want to get your take on this because I don't know anybody other than you that could answer this question. I, I've got a hunch and an instinct, and, and my gut says one thing. But, but I've read a lot of polling, some of your information, some of your data uh, collecting, that the majority of Republican voters – describe themselves as America firsters. Now, there would be a variety of, you know, what America first means to you may be a little bit different than what it does to me. But I think yeah. the Republican Party has evolved and transitioned from, from kind of a, a neoconservative movement post-Second World War. You touched on that a few months ago to this pro-work, non-interventionist party. The majority of voters are there. How many of the influencers, how many of the power brokers are on board? Um, and, and I know you got to be careful there, but, but I, I mean, to me, a political no, party exists to advance I, I, the will no, of, the, of the public. So, so, so if we are on board with America first, but the, you know, the, the power brokers and influencers who have historically led the party in one direction aren't, isn't that a conundrum? Well, I, I, I this is something I used in describing how this primary was going at the beginning. I said that. You can either be running a primary trying to win donors, or you can be running a primary trying to win voters. Because the voters, the activists and voters who vote in primaries, and this is an important distinction. People keep saying, all right, they'll break down national polls to Republicans and determine, well, that's Republican primary voters. No, it's not. The kind of people who bring themselves up for Republican primary, especially in states where South Carolina, where it's a separate primary from a regular primary, is a very small subset of Republicans. So it's more akin to activists. So the kind of people who vote in these presidential primaries and the average donor to the Republican Party, the average power broker, they're running in opposite directions. And what happens is the power brokers and donors have to get on board with America First candidates who tend to win these nominations, and they get frustrated. And then... When a person like that, they're in position to help them. A great example will be a, a masters in Arizona. Then the power brokers refuse to help them, and they and then they end up blaming them as being bad candidates. When if they had given them the kind of money they gave the other people, you call them senator masters today. So, Robert, if that's the case, I mean, and, and you're, you're, you're agreeing that we're in somewhat of a uh, state of flux in regards to that, who do we look to? I mean, who, 
who fills that gap? Is it J.D. Vance? You talked about Blade Masters a second ago. I mean, who are the personalities? I mean, I think you and I would agree if Trump wins in 2024 or he doesn't, I mean, we're at the end of the Trump era. Uh, we're not at the end of America first. I think we're at the beginning of America first, but we're at the end of the Trump era. How do we sub- sustain a political movement? In other words, if we believe this evolution is ne- how do we, who comes next? And, and what does it take to continue to develop candidates, win elections, advance an agenda? Well, the single most important thing is to take the leadership or to make the leadership come to your side. Now, the tightness of the of the Republican majority in the House have necessitated that McCarthy become much more of an American firster than he was. And we've seen it. He's done a good job. I mean, he isn't perfect, but that's the, the nature of negotiation. But until you have until you have somebody with some clout who is ready to, to dethrone Mitch McConnell, you aren't going to change the Senate. Uh, because he controls too much of the money. I mean, he spent $250 million last year, and I might say spent it very poorly, um, defending Lisa Murkowski, beating up on Kelly Chewbacca, ignoring um, uh, Bulldog, doing not near what he should have done for Herschel, and um, doing nothing for Masters. And he could have made the difference in all three of those races. Uh, And so... You know, so these guys are running around blaming the candidates when they lose. But if you ended up, I mean, let's say you got in the world where a Josh Hawley or a, or somebody like a J.D. Vance could be the, you know, could be the Senate majority leader, well, then you got a whole new ball game. Are we close there, Robert? Are we? I mean, are you optimistic that if Vance or Hawley put their name in the hopper, they would get more or less votes than I'd imagine they'd get? Until we start having an open, transparent vote for majority leader in the Senate instead of a secret ballot, there's no telling because all kind of shenanigans are being played. The fact that the most important vote that happens every year in the House of Representatives, we watch play out on national television, and the most important vote that happened in the Senate was behind closed doors is a contrast and is something we ought to be ashamed of. Well said. Last question. I want to take you out of your field of expertise, but but kind of keep in the world of polling and and strategizing. If Joe, where do you think this investigation into Hunter Biden leads? Because I've always said, forget Hunter Biden. This is about Joe Biden. What did Joe Biden know? What did Joe Biden do? What did Joe Biden get? Hunter Biden is obviously a troubled man. He just happens to be the son of an American president. But but I want to know more about what Joe Biden's involvement was. How does that affect the presidential election, and do the Democrats have a plan if indeed there is incriminating information involving Joe Biden? Well, I would argue if the Democrats wanted Joe Biden to stay as their nominee, we wouldn't see half the things we're seeing on Joe Biden. I think they told him not to run again. I think that's why why Rice left the administration right before the announcement. I said, okay, you can do it our way, you can do it the hard way. I think they're part of leaking this stuff uh, and doing it slowly so others, their time can be time built for the inevitability that, that he's not going to be around. And the fact that mainstream media is covering more of Joe's slip-ups, um, I think they'd like to see him out of the way. 
uh, and sooner rather than later, their, their problem is Kamala. They have to they have to let her be president or to run her because it's her turn. They played identity politics in America for you know forty something years. They can't let it be a black woman's turn and go throw a, you know a pretty white man in the in the job. You can't do it. Their most loyal constituency is black women. They cannot do that to them. So they've got to let her be president sooner rather than later. And if she fails, she fails, then go beat her in a primary. Um, so I, I think that, that everybody's moving toward one way or another, whether it's 25th Amendment, whether it's impeachment, whether it's him getting drawn to this and cutting a deal to resign, they need to get him out of the way because they are scared to death that, like I said, any Republican can beat him, including Donald Trump. Who's the most dangerous Democrat out there? Who is the one Democrat that Republicans don't want to run against? John Bell Edwards, the pro-life, pro-gun governor of Louisiana who signed a pro-life bill that doesn't even include exemptions for rape and incest. Interesting. But could he win a primary, Robert, against a Gavin Newsom? I can't even say the word that should proceed no. But I'll just say, please, no. <laughs> <laughs> so there's the situation. So, Robert, as we sit, the week before July 4, this is Trump's primary to lose. It is right now. Absolutely. All right, my man. Appreciate your time. Robert Cahaley, senior strategist, Trafalgar, joining us for an extended two-segment um, uh, bit of Wake yeah. Up, Carolyn. Thank you, Robert. Appreciate it, my man. You might even make me late to the Braves game. You know it's a 12-20, right? Yeah, but the Braves are rolling. <laughs> I think Rev told me 19-4 and four in June. In, in the month of June. Go Braves. That doesn't mean I want to be there for the first inning. Yeah, okay. <laughs> right. You yeah. don't, want to, don't want to miss the home runs. That, there you go. <laughs> Good deal. <laughs> Th- thank you, Robert. Appreciate it. And um, I, mean, I don't think there was any uh, earth-shattering news there. Well, I mean, there might be some earth-shattering news. In, I mean, Robert's plugged in, guys. I mean, I'm not. I don't have any desire to be plugged in. Um, Robert is extremely plugged in. And I think for him to suggest that some of the Democrats are kind of leading the charge now, see, that and was, putting Joe Biden in precarious situations is very interesting. That's pretty interesting, earth-shattering news. We all kind of believe that, well, I think. But. I'll say this. I didn't. I, I kind of sort of thought Robert may know the ins and outs of that. I didn't think he would disc- disclose it. I mean, I didn't think he would say that, you know, he believes the Democrats. I mean, it's a fraternity, guys. And, and and here's the dirty secret in all of this. There are as many Robert Cahaley's doing the work for the Democrats as there are Robert Cahaley's doing the work for the Republicans. And, um, and you know, Robert has been a, a very strong defender of President Trump. He's been a very trusted advisor to the president. By that, I mean they really... Um, I mean, I don't think Robert would mind me saying this. I don't think Robert talks to Trump a lot, but he talks to Jared Kushner a good bit about, you know, what does the polling say? Um, I thought the most interesting part of that, uh, Rev, when asked for your second choice, how many Trump voters said, I don't have one, Trump. Yeah. And he said, no, we need a second choice. Did you not hear me? <laughs> Trump is my first choice, my second choice. And I would imagine if you asked the third choice, he would be my yeah. my third Trump, choice. Trump or nobody, it sounds and, like. And, and that affirms my concern. 
and and I don't know the answer to this. I've said since day one, since Trump rode down the escalator, and it was obvious there was some there there. I said over and over and over again to Republican Party officials, you're making a grave error in believing that the Trump voter is a Republican voter, that there has to be a process in turning these Trump voters into Republican voters, but they're Trump voters. I mean, they're Trump voters. Now, can we encourage those those people who have not been a part of the political you know, process saying Trump says some things that resonate in their world, they show up, they get a bumper sticker, they go to a rally, they wear the baseball cap. If you asked them to quote the Republican creed, they wouldn't know where to begin and where to end. If you said, what is the Republican orthodoxy? I don't have any idea. I'm a Trump voter. I'm here to vote for Donald Trump. And we've got to some way, somehow convince them that in America today, it's a binary choice. It's a binary choice with Donald Trump. It's going to be a binary choice without Donald Trump. And we need you participating post-Trump. Whether that's 24, whether that's 28, there will be a day that you don't have an option to vote for Donald Trump. Will that Trump voter continue to loyally support an America first Republican Party? That's the, I mean, that's the sales job that has to happen within uh, the grand old party. And that could eventually happen if Trump endorses well, I mean, somebody then, else. And there's got to be, and, and, here's where, and here's where Trump's blind spot concerns me. Trump wants it all. I mean, I'm not, I'm not complaining. It doesn't surprise me. I've been around business people my entire life who want everything their way, and they believe they're entitled and deserve to have everything their way. Politics is a negotiation. Politics is diplomatic. It has to be some degree of give and take. And Trump's real damn good at taking, <laughs> but he's not very good at giving. But don't you see a scenario, if he were to win the presidency and fulfill a second term, obviously he can't run again, where he could then set his heir apparent, Ron DeSantis or whoever it is, and then that person would be acceptable to the America First Trump voter I, if and you, the Republican. Here's my prediction. Maybe. If that plays out, and God bless America if it does, if Trump wins in 24 um, and does a good job in 28, he has an opportunity to say, hey, here's the person I trust most to carry on the, you know, the America First legacy that we've all been. He'll never say we. He'll say I, you know, have been responsible for. Here's Don Jr., Eric, or Ivanka. You take your choice of which one you want. Well, uh, I mean, I mean, that's who the guy is. I mean, his, his greatest strength is his biggest weakness. Newsflash. About 75% of Americans fall in that same exact um, category. Let's take a break. We'll come back on the other side. Got a call. We'll get there. Um, that was kind of interesting, Robert, and um, in two segments. of. And once again, guys, I, I'm an amateur. I mean, I'm pretty good at running for office. Robert is really, really good at the data gathering, the interpretation of the data, and what some of the scuttlebutt is in inside the, um, the belly of the beast, so to speak. Back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937. So conservative talk radio, we traffic in conspiracy theories, right? Mm, I mean, they uh, do play a well, role. I mean, yes. You know, uh, what is the likelihood of this or the likelihood of that? Um, a lot of times they seem to come true. But but I go to Polly's Island a good bit. I saw someone wearing a T-shirt uh, last summer. I need a new conspiracy theory T-shirt because all the other ones came true. Mm -hmm. We kind of live in a world now where conspiracy theories are a little more uh, in the mainstream. I've not followed this story as closely because it was not politically centric. I mean, it's more. I mean, I know, I know this guy knew politicians and 
and, you know, traveled with politicians and politicians visited um, Epstein Island. But, um, but the Justice Department Inspector General released its report on the investigation, not into the life of Jeffrey Epstein, but rather the death. Fox News Radio's Jeff Bonasso is in Chicago. Jeff, good morning. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Good to be with you. So what do we make of the Justice Department and its report on the, um, the what, 2019 death of Jeffrey Epstein? What do we make of it? Well, it all depends. I mean, some people are just are still uh, digging into the fact that they don't believe he killed himself, and, and others maybe just taking the Justice Department for their word. Uh, this new report rules that Jeffrey Epstein's death was a suicide, and uh, over four years after after he died at the Metropolitan Correctional Center in New York City, the DOJ Office of Inspector General citing a combination of, of negligence and failures uh, to ensure that Epstein was assigned a cellmate after he was placed on suicide watch, failure to conduct rounds to do an inmate counts or search cells, failure to ensure cameras were working properly, uh, persistent staff shortages. Epstein was allowed to make an unrecorded, unmonitored phone call when he was in prison. Uh, he, he, uh, a search of his, his cell after his death revealed that he had excess linens. They gave him extra sheets on suicide watch. Um, and the Bureau of Prisons did not indicate when the cell was, was last searched. So it, you know, all of these in combination, uh, you know, for somebody who's apparently on suicide watch, you're giving them all the tools apparently to, to be able to kill himself. Uh, that enabled him to uh, allegedly hang himself, according to this report. This is the last of several inquiries into this very high-profile death, for which, again, there are skeptics, given Epstein's charges of sex trafficking and his ties to some of the world's most powerful people. Jeff, is the reason we had the investigation because he died or killed himself in the care of a government agency? Uh, well, I mean, there will always be an investigation into that, but this is a really high-profile case. And, and so, uh, again, there's been n- several investigations into it. I don't know if it was ramped up to the, to the OIG because of, of, of his status, um, but, um, but there were a lot of questions and a lot of people that, that don't believe it. There was a, there was a, 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 a poll taken by uh, Emerson College shortly after his death that showed that only a third of people believe that Epstein actually killed himself. And, of course, after this report, you look on social media and, and the naysayers are, are out there. Um, the, the two jail guards at the center of this story, they, they, they were charged with falsifying prison records to make it appear as though they conducted routine checks on Epstein prior to his suicide. Uh, th- those charges were later dropped in a deal for community service. Um, the Bureau of Prisons is also commenting on this report, saying that it is, you know, it's, it's going to, uh, it's going to do better. It's going to, it's going to work to, to rectify the, uh, the procedural failures, and to make sure that something like this never happens again. Very well explained, Jeff. Thank you for your time. Have a great day, sir. You bet. Um, I'll go on the record. You ready? <laughs> Here's what had happened. <laughs> I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> Either he killed himself and they allowed it to happen or somebody killed him. I mean, th- th- there is no I mean, it, it, extra linens. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cameras didn't work. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. I mean, uh, you know, 
what do they say? I was born at night, but not last yeah, night. Yeah, just too much there to be coincidental. Yeah, it's, there, there's no way. I mean, there's just no way that the government in some way, shape, or form was not in on it. Now, in on it can mean a lot of different things uh, to a lot of different people, but they either allowed him to kill himself or, 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 or you know, to go full-blown conspiracy theory, uh, they had him killed. You know, I, I don't have any idea. They either had him killed or they allowed him to kill himself. And, and, and who knows the motivations? I mean, you know, the guy has a painting in his home, uh, Bill Clinton in a blue dress and high heel shoes. That was a bit weird, but there's no law against being weird. There's no law against being rich and eccentric and different. I mean, there, there are laws about sex trafficking and, you know, underage females being, I mean, yeah, there's big laws against that. And that's why ultimately he was in, um, and, and what's her name? Ghislaine, uh, Max, uh, yeah, uh, just, yeah, Gis- I don't know. Yeah. That's close enough. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I can't even know. I don't know. Gazelle, yeah. you know, the, uh, his pimp is who she was right. basically, uh, was pimping for him. Um, just a sleazy, nasty, nasty, nasty story. And any politician that felt comfortable, you know, in the company of Epstein, eh, highly questionable behavior, any prince, <laughs> and I'm not talking about Purple Rain. I'm mm. talking about a real prince, um, not the artist formerly known as uh, Prince, but a real prince, um, some of the highfalutin aristocrats of, you know, um, European and American society made their way to have a big time with underage women uh, down at Epstein Island about as sleazy and nasty as humanity can possibly get. But guess what? The capacity of humanity will never, ever, um, what men are capable of, what women, women too, I'm talking about men figuratively, what what, what man is capable of, uh, both the good and bad extremes, is the human condition 101. I mean, it's who we are. Uh, I, I love people who say, well, I could never do that, or I would never do that. Okay, okay. Be careful with saying what you would never, ever do. I want to go back to Jim because this is important to me. Jim and I are somewhat kindred spirits. I mean, I'm older than Jim, so I've been around the block a couple of more times than Jim. Doesn't mean I know more. Doesn't mean I'm smarter. Um, I've just learned some things the hard way, and I think that's important. I'm not denying any point Jim made. I mean, I want it my way. I want an America first agenda. I, I want people held into account who make big mistakes like, like was made in Iraq. Uh, I think we're making in Ukraine um, some of the trade policy that we were told was good for the American worker. They knew damn well it was not good for the American worker when we voted on NAFTA or TPP or GATT or any of these other um, trade policies, the free and fair traders, uh, the globalist is what I refer to those at. The, the point I'm trying to make is it's – Calling into a radio show, hosting a radio show, does not require gaining support. It does not require winning a vote. There has to be some sort of bartering in that process. I mean, I don't know anybody charismatic enough to change everybody's mind in the body politic. And we're going to have to find a way to advance an agenda. I mean, once again, we've got an idea. We've got a concept. I mean, I've got the bumper sticker. I mean, if I'm running as an America First candidate, I'm going to advocate for measures that improve the lives of the American worker, the American family, and the American way of life. I mean, I don't know many people listening to my voice that wouldn't sign up for a bumper sticker. That, 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 that's the bumper sticker. 
but but then you get inside of a of a you know a, a body kind of the orbit of politics and and you say well there's a lot of us here and everybody doesn't think like I think everybody doesn't believe what I believe everybody doesn't want to go where I want to go and do what what I want to do everybody doesn't have the same priorities as I I understand Jim's frustration and and I'm one of the loudest voices I think in arguing that the American political class has sold us down the river. And that's kind of where we are today. The reason I asked Robert Cahaley the question about Robert, there is no doubt. It's indisputable today. I mean, we can debate what percentage. Is it 68? Is it 71? But the majority of Republican voters today believe that America first. Now, now I'll add anti-globalists, anti-interventionists, um, you know, out with the neocons, in with the America Firsters. I mean, that's my description of it. But but if you look at polling, I mean, the, the Republican Party historically has been a neoconservative centric party. They they celebrated globalism, interventionism. Uh, you know, I'll add another one of my American imperialism. I mean, you know, we built a we built an empire, and we've acted like one. I mean, that's historically what Republicans don't like. What do you mean we built an empire? Well, we have. We built a hell of an empire. And we've acted like an empire. We've told a lot of countries around the world for the last 50 or 60 or 70 years where to stand and what to do. It's about 80 years now. And, and I'm not saying right, wrong, or indifferent. I mean, once again, let's go to the linear graph because I'm sounding unpatriotic. I can hear listeners now. He's on patriotic radio show. Get him off the air. No. Linear graph, America bad, America good. We are predominantly good. We have contributed more to the betterment of mankind than I would argue any country in human history. I mean, look at the way humanity has improved as a result of American contribution. But we've got to accept the last 25 or 30 or 40 years have been controversial and questionable. I don't think, I mean, I think doing a, um, doing a, a kind, of, kind of an introspective, an honest introspection of our country is healthy. And I think the political class in America sold the constituency down the river. And I think America in decline is because of a lot of things government has done. Um, I, I was talking with a friend of mine who's in the restaurant business yesterday, and we were debating about, you know, wh- what they got right in COVID, what they got wrong in COVID. And and I, I try to explain, and my point of view is this. I think we got a lot wrong. Um, but, but the biggest thing we got wrong was the inflation we created by printing so much damn money. When you, when you ask young people, capitalism or socialism, and they say socialism, I mean, it's a high percentage. It's the majority of, of young people that say, I'd, I'd kind of rather give socialism a shot than I had capitalism. A, a lot of those kids, uh, Josh's age and younger, I mean, they, you know, they, they're, they're, they were sold a bill of goods. They, they were told that, okay, um, you go to college, you, you, you kind of keep your head down for four or five years, and out of that comes the good life. And, and it could be. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But, but I've heard so many kids say, yeah, I'm paying 500 bucks a month in student debt payments. The apartment that I thought was going to be 700 is 1700 um, You know, when, when I go to the grocery store and I'm ready to spend 50 bucks, I'm spending $100, and I'm tired of being broke. And all these promises – that, that the officialdom of America made just aren't coming to fruition. Uh, now, 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 lazy's lazy, and no count's no count. And I mean, I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about people who really want to make a better way for themselves. 
And, and I believe that we were in decline to begin with. And I think Americans were beginning to feel that sense of, wow. I mean, I'm not quite as optimistic about our future as historically we've been. You compound that with inflation. Inflation is a tax on everybody. And if you're making a million bucks a year running a bank and bread goes up 30% and eggs go up 20%, milk goes up 15%, and the cost of an apartment goes up, you know, 25%, you're still okay. I mean, you're still fine. But, but if you're out there fighting for every dollar that American working class and the cost of living goes up 20 25%, you're PO'd at somebody, right? I mean, you're not mad at the person running the grocery store. You're not mad at the person renting the apartment. I mean, there's a financial model that we've created, and inflation has so distorted what people expected their lives to look like. And, I mean, it's an evil force. And, I mean, I think we were dealing with inflation much longer than, you know, COVID. I mean, inflation was rampant to begin with. Um, but, but, but when we printed, what, 40% of all the currency in circulation today didn't exist, before COVID, I think six point, might be $7.3 trillion in new money that was kind of pumped into the, into the economy. Where do you think most of that money ended up? I mean, at the end of the day, where, where did the majority of that money end up? Corporations, banks, and I'm not talking about your local community bank. So, so there's a, a frustration that people have about the state of affairs in America. Rightfully so. It ain't working. But, you know, the, the old argument, and I get tired of this argument. We could have been born in a cave in Afghanistan. I could have, but I wasn't. I was born in the freest country in the history of mankind. And when I cast a ballot in favor of a candidate over another and he says he's going to do something, I expect him to do it. I mean, when he says he's going to demonstrate fiscal restraint and restore, you know, sanity and the, the financial more, I mean, I expect the guy to do that or the lady to do that. And nobody on our side has done what they said they were going to do for a generation. And Jim's tired of that. Jim's angry about that. And Jim's not an isolated example. I mean, there are millions of people who feel that way. If America was not in decline, Donald Trump would have never gotten elected president. It was the biggest protest vote ever. And I keep going back to if America was introspective of itself and the people in power, the day after Trump gets elected, looked in the mirror and said, we must really suck for 70-some-odd million Americans to believe that made any sense. But they didn't. They doubled, tripled, quadrupled down on what? The game they play with the American people. They believe the government is their birthright. Controlling the government is something they are entitled to. And they're fighting tooth and nail with those who want to uh, reassign political parties to, to, to react and be held accountable and responsible to the voters. Drew McKissick, I asked Drew one day, and I, got, I don't remember when it was, I said, you know, why does a political party exist? Well, to me, the only answer is to represent the interest of what the majority of its voters believe. I mean, it's not, it's not you, it's not your job. If 70% of Americans believe in this nationalist agenda, you know, the, this America First platform, you know what it's your job to do when you go to Washington? Fight for that agenda. Fight for that platform. I mean, you are a Republican office holder. Seven in ten Republicans have said, hey, out with globalism, out with interventionism, out with some of the warmongering. I mean, let's concentrate on, on getting our country back in a positive trajectory. 
And you go and, you know, the military industrial complex hosts two fundraisers. The corporations host another fundraiser. Next thing you know, you're, uh, you know, in a boardroom at a major bank in America and they're talking about what they're in. You see where I'm having? There's a, there's a kind of a perpetual conflict within. And historically, the corporations have won. I read something the other day. Of all the primetime advertising on network television, about 70% is big pharma. 70? About 70% wow. of all the primetime, primetime advertising. I've never, I mean, I know there's a lot of lame ads, you know, that, that big pharma pays for. This pill, that pill, that pill, this pill. This disclaimer and this yeah, side effect. But I, mean, I didn't know it was 70%. Yeah, well. Now, now, once again, that's a report. I don't know if that's true or not, but, but it's a lot. I mean, we know that. It's a lot. Um, there, there's some politicians now that want to stop big pharma from marketing directly to the consumer. They think healthcare is too sacred. It doesn't need to be that salesy, so to speak. Now it'll be interesting to watch big pharma defend their turf and, and do whatever it takes. But, but when Jim says, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm mad. I'm angry. I hear you. I mean, I understand what you're saying. I'm with you. I just think we expect some magic potion or silver bullet when there is no such thing. We're still going to have to function, operate, and improve within the body politic. And the only way to do that is to elect support and help like-minded men and women who will go to Washington and do what they say they're going to do. And I think we're beginning that. I mean, I'm encouraged by J.D. Vance, Josh Hawley. Uh, Rand Paul would be an old hand at this. Uh, some of the House members. That they seem to be, I think Robert was interesting when he said, I think McCarthy's doing a good job. It's not perfect. You can't be a perfect speaker. It's impossible to be a perfect speaker because you got all these factions and you got all these voices and you've got to consider and take into account what they want and, and what he wants and she wants and they disagree with him and he disagrees with her and you got to build some sort of consensus and out of that comes kind of a message, agenda and, and you know, direction. And I, I just, I hear but I hear that a lot. People want it to happen now. Well, it, it's not. It, it's just simply not going. I think it's happening, and it's not happening as fast as I wish it would happen. But, but I, I do believe that we are on a path toward restoring some sense of accountability in one of our political parties. It, it may take a generation. I may not see the day that the evolution is complete. I mean, this is not a speedboat. It's a big old tanker, and it's hard to turn around, especially when when certain people don't take certain anchors out of the water. <laughs> take a break back in just a few. 843-661-0937. Got a call here, and then we got some whiners we'll do in just a couple of moments. Sam in Cross Hill, good morning. You're on. Hey, good morning, fellas. Uh, I'm sure probably in a few minutes, uh, Jeff will probably be calling you in, as he usually does near the end of the show. But anyway, i got to tell you, when I woke up this morning and you came on the air, uh, Ken, I thought maybe uh, Dave and Josh were, and you were all locked in a closet, and Jeff had actually taken over the radio station. <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, this has been a, a very interesting uh, morning listening to uh, – uh, Mr. Uh, uh, what Kahaley and Haley. everything, but uh, my concern is is this. I, I'm with you. I, I understand exactly where you're coming from, and I have this sick feeling in my stomach. You know, we're, we're talking about the um, um, 
the nominating process, whatever, the Republican process. And uh, what good will it be for us if Trump wins the battle, but he loses the war and we lose the war? And uh, the, the war result really is to make sure that Biden uh, and his administration does not come back in. And what also concerns me related to this was, you know, we thought there was going to be a red wave here in the 22 elections, and it just didn't happen. And what's most important, too, is if Biden were to get reelected, it's very important that the Republicans gain control of the Senate and keep the House. And I just wonder what the down ballot uh, results would be, you know, Trump going in, you know, being the nominee. And uh, we thought Trump was going to carry the carry everybody over the finish line in, in, in the midterms. And that just didn't happen. And so just, uh, uh, just, I just kind of have this real sick uh, feeling in my stomach about the whole situation. So that's my two cents. Thank you, Sam. Appreciate that. Let me, Trump's like the quarterback. He probably gets too much credit when things go our way, probably gets too much criticism, uh, when things don't, but that's who he is. I mean, that he's a, He's a political blunt instrument. He cuts both ways. Um, he's Babe Ruth. He hits more home runs than anybody, but he strikes out more than anybody. I mean, it's not. I mean, it, he's not a complicated dynamic. I mean, he's a he's a complicated political animal, no question. But but the the reaction politics has to him is not very complicated. He motivates for, and he motivates against. Um, I'm more interested in sustaining a political movement than I am, you know, proving a point. I mean, I understand that there would be nothing more fulfilling right now than sending Trump back to Washington. Because there's a sense of, okay, back at you, empire, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you, I mean that, that, that would yeah, be, absolutely. I mean, you feel that's, like you're the underdog. You that's part all of the, my motivation. You, you got all these forces working against you, the media, academia, um, the majority of politicians, uh, working against so so yeah so but there's some you know um uh, I got a puncher's chance to land one against the big guy uh, and I want to do that I, I want to slay um, Goliath I, I accept all that I understand all of that um, I just think Trump today is is extremely controversial and and motivates as many on the other side as he does our side and the point I've tried to make this morning. I don't think DeSantis does that. I don't now. Now, the, 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 the million-dollar question is, will the Trump voter come back and vote for DeSantis? I find it concerning. I mean, it, some of you may like this and may laugh at it. It alarms me when Kahaley asks a Trump voter who your second choice is, and they say Trump. I mean, that's irrational. I mean, I don't want to say cultish because to each his own, but that's a little irrational. I'm mean, a sane person, a normal person, somebody who's not blinded by this. But, but that's not, the following versus the base that you talk but, but about, that, right? That, but you got to accept that th- this is not church. This is not a Messiah. I mean, you know, I'm a Christian. I, I'm a follower of Christ. I'm not. A, I'm not in His base. I'm a follower of Jesus. Um, he is my salvation. That that's the decision I made um, about eternity and and where my spiritual well-being lies. When you ask a voter, a reasonable voter, a Republican primary voter, who is your first choice in the Republican primary? And they say Trump. Who's your second choice? And they say Tim Scott or Ron DeSantis or Vivek Ramaswamy. Okay, uh, fair enough. 
when you ask that person who your first choice is, Trump, who's your second choice, Trump, I mean, that that's odd to me. That that's 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 a little bit. I mean, that that's kind of a hero worshiping, and that does border on. I don't want to say you're members of a cult. I'm not arguing that, but but it's a um, it's a scary proposition because it seems it leads me to believe that if that person doesn't get their way, they don't want anything to do with it. Trump or nobody. Yeah, and and, and, saying, and, right? and 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 if it's that if that's the case, then we'll get you know Joe Biden as president again. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there, and then we got to do whiners. We got to do whiners. Um, contractually, and for the sake of it, and for the fun of it. We will get to whiners after Jeff and Florence. Hello, Jeff. Hey, I'm a whiner, so it's okay. <laughs> this counts. There you go. Hey, uh, um, you know, I, I haven't caught all the show this morning, and I'll definitely listen to it on your uh, your uh, website, which is great, uh, the app. Um, but uh, this is kind of the, uh, the, the fear that we've had um, on – on the not Trump, or you can call us never Trumpers. You can call us ter- deranged, but we need a healthy Republican party. And, and sadly, I think about 30% of the Republican party um, is gone. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, that number that says only Trump, if, if you guys lose that block in the Republican party, it's devastating. And, and I, I, I don't want the Republican Party to go away. You got to save it from Trump, though. I hear that. I mean, thank you, Jeff. Appreciate it. And that's, I mean, you know, can the Republican Party? I want to go back. You know, twenty sixteen, Trump wins. Um, surprisingly, I mean, the polls said he wasn't going to win. He won. Um, Kahaley built a mousetrap that found the Trump voter. But has the Trump voter become a Republican voter? That's the conundrum. That's the dilemma. That's where we are. Um, and if they have not, the Republicans won't win as many seats as they expect to. Yeah, if, how, how many former Republican voters are now Trump voters? Well, I mean, Trump, brought, Trump or nothing. Yeah, but, but, okay, but Trump or nothing. The country was beginning to drift to the left. I mean, the demographics, um, you know, Hispanics, African-Americans, young people. I mean, they had all the... They, they seem to be, you know, gravitating toward, and all of a sudden Trump shows up and the politically disconnected, the politically disenchanted, those who don't vote, didn't vote, could care less I'll put it this way. about politics. What if those voters are Trump or Bernie or Trump or... Well, I mean, there's some of that. I mean, they, they, there's a... Robert Kennedy. They, there's some overlap there. I mean, they, there's kind of the anti-government, you know, yeah. kind of good conspiracy theorist. But, but, but the point I want to make is this. So, so I don't have any idea, and Robert doesn't have any idea, how many Trump voters have become converts to the Republican cause? Um, when, when you look at the second choice number, I mean, if you are a Trump voter, to me, the only answer, and I'm being a bit selfish here, the only answer when asked, who is your second choice, it's got to be DeSantis. I mean, it can't be Christie. It can't be Mike Pence. It can't be Asa and, and Hutchinson. Me. I mean, it's got to be, well, I mean, how many Trump voters have become converts to the Republican cause? And how far down the road of America First has the Republican cause um, gained? I mean, I, I know for a fact, I've got some friends in Washington, and I'll ask them off the record, hey, 70% of Republican primary voters ascribe to an America First agenda. How many power brokers in Washington agree with that? And he'll chuckle and say, uh, one, uh, maybe two. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> you know who they are, J.D. Vance and Josh Hawley. 
that the others are kind of playing games and understand the political dynamic. So, so there's no question that the Republican Party finds itself in a very complicated place. But, but the one thing Trump has done that is indisputable, he has brought people to the dance that never came before. Will they stay and dance with someone else once he rides off into the sunset? I don't know. I don't have any idea what the answer to that is. Let's take a break. We'll come back on the other side with our whiners this Wednesday. It's time now for the Wake Up Carolina Whiner Line, brought to you by Delta Building Systems. Call 803-720-5260. So, what are you whining about today? Good morning, Ken. I got a quick comment on the mask um, deal. Listen, if I'm walking around with the flu or cold and stuff, and I'm around you coughing and gagging and stuff, do you prefer I put my hand over my mouth or just cough right into your face and stuff, Um I am sick to death of these um, researchers that say masks don't work. They might not be 100%, but neither is putting your hand over your mouth when you cough or coughing into your elbow is supposed to be more sanitizing. I mean, why do we cover our mouths when we cough? Wear a mask. I mean, nobody said don't wear a mask. Wear a mask. I mean, wear a mask in your car, wear a mask outside, wear a mask when you cut grass, wear a mask when you go to sleep. Nobody said don't wear a mask. Just don't require others to wear a mask. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say, hey, you shouldn't wear a mask. I mean, I think it's stupid to wear a mask in your car by yourself, but it shouldn't be illegal. I, I've never. I mean, that, that, that's, that's where people don't hear what others say. I have never said don't wear a mask. Just don't force me to wear one. We're, we're talking about a, an aspirant virus. I mean, it's not working. I'm sorry. Um, I'll give an example. You're safer to drive 40 miles an hour in a car, right? I mean, we, we, we agree to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I run into a tree running 40, I'm probably better off than running into a tree running 70. We accept some risk in our lives. I mean, all of us, every day we wake up, we accept some degree of risk in our lives. We mitigate those risks in a reasonable fashion. So if you have a flu or virus or are concerned about others who do, wear a mask. But don't force others to live under the confining, uh, I don't know, the, the 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 conforming and confining way that you've chosen um, to live. That that's, that's the only point I've ever made. When I see someone in a car by themselves wearing a mask, I'm not appalled by that. I mean, I'm a little bit, chuckled. I mean, I go, okay. I mean, you know, but that's, that that person certainly has the prerogative to choose when, how, and where uh, a mask. And and I just, I think it's insane that we force people to wear a mask when there was no peer research, peer reviewed research that said the mask worked. I mean, I think we had a physician call the show one day and said, it's like uh, putting a screen fence up, hoping it keeps the mosquitoes out. It was just an insane argument to make, and, you know, some people bought into it. Other, people's obje- other people objected, and that's what debates are about. But, but nobody's ever said, don't wear a mask. I mean, people are still wearing masks. I saw three or four or five people at the beach outside wearing a mask. Have at it. Good afternoon. This is uh, Alan Big Al. And uh, anyways, just uh, 
brushing up the old resume this morning and uh, noticed that uh, one of my Bachelor of Sciences was not spaced properly. So I went to click on Bachelor and Outlook, Microsoft, basically said that Bachelor is not appropriate and I should put unmarried person. The world has gone insane. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I mean, you know, wow. when, well, I mean, I, I did, I don't know, a rant last uh, yesterday on gay marriage. You know, if anybody should be offended at today's political culture, it should be gay marriage. We redefined <laughs> one of the institutions that have defined society for eons, uh, have probably been as important as any institution in the history of mankind. I'm talking about marriage. We blew past that like it wasn't, you ready? Like it wasn't Jack. <laughs> gay marriage never had its day in the sun. Gay marriage one year, because we're talking about Obama. Obama running as a, a centrist. Mm -hmm. I mean, nobody knew. I mean, I say nobody. Apparently, people bought into that and believed that he was a kind of a centrist. He's a radical Democrat, a radical socialist is what Barack Obama did. But he ran in 08 as a um, defender of traditional marriage. Um, the courts decided uh, in favor of same-sex marriage. So same-sex marriage gets about a day in the sun, and here comes transgenderism and gender fluidity and nonconformity and um you know it's just um what what is gen gender affirming surgeries now i saw yesterday where some of the uh, the federal government is holding some of the states hostage if if state uh, legislatures do not agree that gender affirming surgery should be made available they're going to withhold medicare and medicaid funding I mean, that's kind of the federal government. Who has the gold rules, right? Yeah. They have the gold. I mean, they have the money. They pass down some of the Medicaid, Medicare uh, match money, but they're requiring states to force some of the insurance companies who do business in these states to make as part of the, um, you know, I, I guess the, what about, we cover this and not that. We, we won't cover a boob job, but we will cover gender-affirming surgery. I mean, you're right. The world's gone mad as far as I'm concerned. You know, if it weren't so serious... You could laugh it off. I mean, if we really, if, if we weren't talking about allowing eight-year-old children to enter into a medical contract with a certified physician to have, you know, their, their gender mutilated, their genitalia mutilated, I mean, if it weren't so damn serious, it'd be a good joke. I mean, it'd be a good time to have a beer in your hands. Hey, man, you hear about all those kids getting their, you know, whacked off and I'm stitched up. I mean, you know, I mean, but, but it's serious. I mean, it's very, it's, it's unbelievably serious. But it would be easy to, it's almost like it doesn't deserve to be taken seriously. But we're being forced to. And the federal government today is, is offering up as a proposal or a compromise, we'll continue to fund your state's Medicare and Medicaid if you will adopt gender-affirming surgery as part of your, you know, what your insurance company will pay for or not um it's just it's 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 past bizarre and and i think gay marriage deserved better i mean i, I think gay man i think the redefining of the institution of marriage deserved at least three or four years of um of liberal and media um you know just, just absolute just, just fawning over what we did in redefining marriage but but typical liberals say 
this isn't far enough. Let's um, let's attack something else. And gender dysphoria is now <laughs> attempting to be normalized in the good old U.S. of A. You've been listening to the Wake Up Carolina Winer Live, brought to you by Delta Building Systems. You got something you want to whine about? Call anytime, 803-720-5260. It's the official and the original Wake Up Carolina Winer Line. 843-661-0937. Couple of minutes. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Bert in Florence. Hi, Bert. Hello. Um... I, I wanted to just give you a perspective on, on your earlier thing about why they go, my first is Trump and my second is Trump. It's because we're just tired of the entire game, and we put the piece in there that would fix it, and they cheated. I don't care what they say. They cheated and removed our piece from the board, and we want it back, or basically we're done playing the game. I mean, nobody wants a war. But that's what we're sitting on top of. And I really do think if they cheat him out of it again, then they might have that on their hand because there's a lot of us out here who are just finally pissed off at the game. And if we can't put our piece back in play where it belongs, we're going to wipe the board. And that's how we feel about it. So that's why they say Trump or Trump. And every time, you know, you get on there or other people do it too. And, oh, we got to look at DeSantis real good. And we don't like DeSantis. That's why he's so low in the polls because we honestly don't want him because he is part of the establishment and we, we don't want to play that game no more. Thank you, Bert. I get it. I understand it. I mean, I, you know, I certainly, all I'm doing is introducing data, factual data that says you may not get what you want. Take a no, I'm not taking a break. It's a wrap. We're out of here. We'll talk tomorrow.